This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Evan. We're going to talk about Dance Macabre, a book by Stephen King, nonfiction. Uh, him trying to figure out what horror is or trying to explain what horror is, I guess. And this was yep. part of a suggestion to do a show answering the question, what is horror? And maybe that's what this will go out as, but probably not. It'll probably go out as Dance Macabre because I, I don't think King exhausts the idea, but I think he has a lot of good stuff in this book. It was very casual, this book. I was telling my mom it was basically mm-hmm. very easy listening because it's it's frothy. Um, yeah, I had trouble with the first time I read this book because of that casualness. Mm, I kind of maybe wanted something a little bit it's more kind of academic, but it didn't bother me this time. This time I, I kind of enjoyed that. Uh, yeah, no, it's good. That part's all good. It's anti-academic, right? He's actually very thorough, yeah. but his style is very anti-academic, even though he technically is or was, I guess, an academician. Um, but he was – he's got well, his – Was he a high school teacher? High school mm-hmm. teacher, and I think he was a university lecturer um, doing a course on – Yeah, and he went through university. Yeah. Uh, so he, that's He actually, definitely had a chip on his shoulder at this time about – um, this kind of academic stuff. He he. I write there's myself. a scene in it where one of the characters it becomes a writer, and he in that already long book he spends a few pages about his time in a university classroom and how the, the professor trashed his story because it didn't have enough theme or trashed mm-hmm. his analysis, which it must have been drawn from life. I think. Oh, I he think everything's drawn from life. So many, so many things in this book are like just him recounting little incidents from his own life, and I'm I'm realizing, oh, that's a book he wrote li- later, right? Uh, yeah. What's the one where the, the the writer is trapped by a fan who smashes his feet? That's misery. That's definitely Mi- written later. But that's mentioned, like that scene, yeah, is in this book, right? E- even though it's just an incident from his own life, obviously not identical, but he's imagining. Uh, situate or all the stuff about looking at the, the uh the dead was it rabbit, uh cat, the dead cat and they smashing it open. That's stand by me, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of um him mining his own mind, which is good. So I I feel like this is much more about Stephen King's take on horror, which I think is very good. But mm-hmm. um I got to get it out of the way the first because. It's like, you know, how everybody has to say, uh, Lovecraft was a racist. Uh, here's yeah. what I'm going to say about Stephen King. Stephen King was and is a shit lib. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't, I feel bad calling him that because I don't, I don't know what the technical term is and I will look it up right now, but I'm pretty sure he's a shit lib. <laughs> um, he talks about being conservative at one point. Oh, yes. When he goes to college, but he comes out of college, the sh- as you say, shit lib. Here's, um, here's he's the, got a lot of bad takes in general yes. in this book, yes. which you just sort of let him pass by, I think, and you can enjoy this book and get a lot from it. Yes. But you're like, did you just say Lovecraft was a bad poet? You know? And yes, like, he did. Okay, let's yes, move on. Let's I, move no, on. Look, I, I, get, forget that. I can forgive that because almost everybody yeah. thinks that. And, uh, you know, yeah. it's it's just 
and I think he has some good ideas about what people's tastes are, and he, he makes them. Mm-hmm. But he compares him to Clark Ashton Smith, who I think is a good poet as well, but I don't think he's a better yeah. poet than Lovecraft. I think they're doing slightly different things. But uh, let me just throw the Urban Dictionary definition of shit lib down. Portmanteau, comprising the word shit and lib, used in leftist political discourse as a pejorative, mocking the spinelessness, stupidity, oh, stupidly hip- hypocrisy and willful ignorance of american liberals uh quote vote blue no matter who you probably a russian bot trying to get trump reelected. nope i'm just not a shit lib like you hit the phones i don't know what that <laughs> that quote is well, about exactly uh, you got a call for your favorite candidate or your yeah you know making calls for joe biden right right I mean. so uh when he t- when he in this book when he talks about when the Black Panthers came to talk and he mm-hmm. started talking back to the Black Panthers, asking a question that he even admits was not a question. Um, and then I was thinking about like his later writing career. He, he's obsessed obviously with Sputnik in this book and he, he ties that yeah. into horror, which is interesting. And then he also is obsessed with JFK assassination and, and i he believe a book about that uh, didn't he write a book about that right um uh, time traveler tries to stop uh, but the thing is, is okay. um I, I feel like it's almost like he's dumb like he's just dumb but yeah he's I, not dumb though that's the thing right he's 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 pretty incisive in a lot of places in his life but for some things he's just like dumb and well, uh, like he he's got this like uh, this real fear of political radicals. Yes. Like, and like his, disc- I don't know if you've read the stand, no. but like one of his most well-known villains in the stand, Randall flag. Yeah. He talks about that. And in- when you were first introduced to Randall flag, he's just walking. He's like, he starts developing magic powers, but he's just like walking down the highway and he's got the blue jeans and like the combat boots. And he's got all the, the buttons and pamphlets in his mm-hmm. pocket. And he's got all the little political buttons. And he's described as someone who will, who's just a chaos agent. And he'll go to different and meetings. He's near go to, yeah, but he'd go to like the leftist political meeting and, and be a socialist. But then he'd go to like a Klan meeting, you know. And he's just like King wants to somehow stay away from both these political extremes. And so a lot of Hence his villains being the liberal be on either side. Which he, he, he seems yeah. to be proud of. In here, I don't know, like I, when when I was young, I didn't know that liberals were fucking idiots. <laughs> I knew that there was a liberal party and that they were fucking idiots, but I didn't know that liberals were fucking idiots. Um, so uh, I can I kind of you know I can see how not everybody will would get through it, but it feels like at some point when he he mentions you know when he got rich and it, he was saying he mm-hmm. wasn't rich yet, but obviously he's rich now. You know, you can get isolated, right? When he starts selling carry and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sent you right before we started uh, this. I looked at his other nonfiction because I didn't know how much other uh, he had written. And there was one there. It looks like it's basically just an op-ed uh, that's available as an audiobook called Guns. And it's on yeah. guns. And did you happen to look at the audible reviews? On that I didn't. Book? Okay, so <laughs> they're really funny. Um, I think I heard of this before, but I didn't read it. I'd never, I'd never heard of the book before. I just, you know, I know that he it must be an essay. I don't think it's a yeah. Book, it is. is it's it? an essay um, that has been yeah. 
turned into a book, right? Uh, mm. Because he's Stephen King. Um, so it's got four review, uh, four stars out of five. But if you start looking at the reviews, um, and the ones that are most helpful, um, it's mm. one star. It says started off well with the promise of new insights, but devolved at the end to just worn assertions. It was like he just got tired of the topic. The first cup of coffee after the first cup of coffee wore off. Um, and mm-hmm. talking about, you know, how he's a gun owner and yet he doesn't, they're saying, you know, he doesn't know the difference between, you know, I don't know, revolvers and pistols, uh, I don't know, automatics or whatever. So there's some technical complaints, but uh, it really comes down like, did you follow this Rittenhouse thing that is all over the news yesterday and the day before? Yeah, I followed a little bit. Okay, so uh, it wasn't that long ago. I was uh, I was on a podcast, and I I mentioned uh, uh, Boogaloo Boys, and there yeah. was somebody brought up uh, Rittenhouse. I didn't know anything about that case, but obviously it's come out in the trial with the video and stuff like that. And there's like uh, the media is going nuts, um, repeating the lies that they were repeating before, and very few people are getting the message now. That the trial's over and the video's all available. And if you watch the trial, which I did not watch, but I watched the excerpts that are important, which are the video basically showing, you know, it, yeah, he's not a, he's not a, a, a smart man or a wise man. <laughs> and he might even be a white supremacist, but, uh, that was clearly a case of he was uh, being attacked by people and they were hunting him down. And the guy, the, the guy who sort of caused it was like, mentally deranged just got out of the the hospital um mental hospital and uh was like swearing at everybody to basically kill me um and then he attacked the guy with a gun saying you know i'm gonna fucking kill you you better fucking kill me something like that and uh that's how it sort of gets started right and then once the gun goes off other people say that guy just killed a guy right and they go after him and they're gonna disarm him well, you go after a guy with your own gun or a, you hit him over the head with a skateboard. He's going to be upset. Right? <laughs> gonna, and so, mm-hmm. you know, it's like it's the worst case for uh, making guns illegal because it's very muddy instead of very yeah. clear. Um, I don't know what Stephen King's current take on this particular well, thing it, is, but I, all the politicians in Canada are feeling like they need to say something. And it's like. Uh, uh, Joe Biden came out and said, said something and he got shat all over, which is, I stand by the jury system or something. And he had come back and say, I, I, I think he's a bad man <laughs> after because he was getting shit on some more. Um, so you can't win with this, this situation. Well, but- I think where the analysis is going in a good direction, at least it mm-hmm. is. And I don't know if these are the shit libs saying this. I think it's the real leftist saying this is just, all right, you know, what about all these other people in jail for killing their rapist or something, right? Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, or other the human traffic girl right? who killed the person yep. and then she's in jail for 10 years for that. That there's still these, it exposes these inequities in the judicial system, mm-hmm. which clearly exist. Um, but yeah, the, the more I looked at the facts of this case, it seems, I mean, if it, it wasn't a hung jury, I think that's what's telling. It no. was, it was an acquittal. Which means you convinced all twelve of these people. Yep. 
If it was a hung jury, I'd say okay. They, but even, know, but even if you if you disregard the, what the jury's worried about, like whether they're going to get yeah. attacked or whatever, if you just look at you know the case against him, it's bad. It's a bad yeah. case. Poorly researched. They shouldn't have brought it. it was p- probably done politically because it sounded, you know, there's a lot of public pressure to do something. And then the video is exculpatory. Like if there wasn't the video and it was just a he said she said about what happened, you know, you'd have a lot more chance of worrying about it but yeah the fact that he there was a guy there who was pointing a gun at him right um that's pretty basic self-defense stuff and it's not i'm not even saying guns are a good idea i'm just saying the law allows it right and so people get obsessed about like that the phrase he crossed state lines well he didn't cross state lines with a gun and it was in neighboring community, right? <laughs> it wasn't like he traveled across the country. So they get in the, they hear this phrase, they cross state lines. This is something the FBI talks about, not normal people, right? Yeah. So once you sort of get this like a gut feeling reaction in your head about what something is, I feel like, uh, that's where we start to go wrong. That's why when I call, call him a shit lib, I'm thinking it's a good way of dismissing him rather than, um, rather than looking through his ideas, but I'm not sure he examines those. Like, so why did he bring that up in the book? Yeah, I think, well, I think he's got a few, he's got a couple of obsessions. You said Kennedy's one of them. Yes. Right. Like paranoia is what, in it what was. world do you think like Kennedy's assassination is the quantum leap moment in American history? Like it's, it's not right. Like a lot of people do, though. Yeah, but boomers. Me, by boomers. Like, yep. but my my friend who teaches a a modern U.S. history, he he's convinced it's if Johnson had run again in '68, like that, and actually followed through on the Great Society, that may have been a better quantum leap moment than Ken- the Kennedy assassination. But the other thing he's weirdly obsessed with is the Patty Hearst stuff. Yeah, like. And that's that exposes you as a boomer. I, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, like, I sw- I'm kind of aware of it, but I think it's another boomer obsession. Is yeah. the Patty Hearst thing? Well, he lives in the public culture, right? That's the yeah. interesting thing. So he lives in the public. His books culture. are very much in there. His books are always very contemporary. They're very much of the time they were written. Mm-hmm. Every, you know, when you read Carrie, you know you're in the 70s, and uh, when you read his new books, it's very much drawn from like the media environment of the time. Mm-hmm. But he, it's not like he's, he's an idiot. He's not mm-hmm. an idiot. He's actually got a lot of good insights and his, I think his, you know, uh, barring, you know, him saying Lovecraft wasn't a very good poet and he envied somebody else's poetry is like, well, yeah, he said that, but, um, you know, he said that about pretty much everything he wrote, right? Mm-hmm. So. Uh, more importantly, I, I'm I'm not even I don't I don't feel defensive about Lovecraft's poetry. I'm just like saying if you haven't read this poem, uh, you're you're not you're missing out. And there are some like he's really good. He's really good at making yeah. fun of people <laughs> in poems and uh, making funny poems and also beautiful short image imagery poems that are mm-hmm. little horror stories. Um, so. Uh, there, there were a number of, th- uh, it's not, what I did like about this book is it's not just movies, right? Like we did, uh, that, oh, yeah. that, um, even though I felt in World the one book, book section, the fiction section, mm-hmm. uh, he, he drifted into movies a lot. O- often. But yes. I think that's also because he's, 
so much in the thinking about the pop culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I think time. the formative thing of this book is that sitting in the movie theater watching a horror movie and then having the announcement of Sputnik uh, come yeah. come in. That's the formative part. Um, and and seeing the reaction on the guy's face, right, when they accused him of lying. Um, and what's funny is that only is horror if you think the United States is the good guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> which is sort of explains the shit livery right because mm-hmm. um when he when he's confronting uh, I, I feel like he's working through his stuff and he's not really sure about what he's saying so he's trying to think it through in writing so when he's when he says what he says to the to the black panthers who are telling basically truths without you know they're they're doing a big broad outline and he says, what do you think? They're sitting around in some room somewhere, Hearst and, and a bunch of guys smoking cigars. And like, and he, he even admits that that's not, it wasn't a question, right? That yeah. sort of conspiracy, conspiracy dismissal of, of, you know, facts on the ground. And he, you know, brings up Fred Hampton and he says, yeah, I think the FBI probably acted. Or was the Chicago police probably acted badly there? I might even, I might even call it a, uh, a murder. Ex- ex- yeah, extra judicial murder. <laughs> right, right, right. Maybe, like, yeah. like maybe, maybe could be. Um, the only, the only way that that makes sense ultimately, if you have all the facts in your hand, is if you're on a team and you're playing for a team, mm-hmm. and he's on Team America. And the thing is, is that's you know, it's a nice country side. <laughs> There's good people in it, but playing for the team is is defending stuff that is crazy. And so when that when he thinks of that as horror, I think he's right. And his analysis of uh, uh, invasion of the body snatchers is really nice, but I think he's also wrong in the same way that he he's claiming Finney is. Uh, saying he wasn't doing, um, you know, McCarthy stuff. It's the same. It, 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 yes, it's not supposed to be about McCarthy and McCarthyism, but it comes from the same place, right? That yeah, paranoia. Yeah, that's a really good part of his analysis. Oh, it's very it's good. Like the the stuff on the social horror, mm-hmm. where he looks at the what's that movie? The the house one, the haunted house, but it's oh, all house like, on haunted hill, yeah. Yeah, the uh, one by Shirley the, Jackson. It's all about no. He was the the other book, the the movie. I'm sorry, not the haunting. It was the, the haunting about of the Hill mortgages. House? It was in the social horror section. Uh, where it's like, oh, um, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, a book I haven't read. The Amityville Horror. Amityville yes, horror. I haven't seen that Amity- movie, and that's based on some yeah. true story, I guess. But uh, yeah. yeah, when he where talks the about the audience from, like, there, the yeah, <laughs> that's true though, right? That is the fear people have of you know investing in a property and having it be a money pit <laughs> there's a movie yeah, called the, the money pit. Of, this is the big theme in it which he wrote not long after he wrote this book or at least the ideas you can tell the ideas that would come out in it are very are here mm-hmm. like how children believe in magic and how that is oh he's he's real. very very insightful about and about that but how adult horror is like my wife's going to leave me or I'm going to lose my job or something like that. It's, Mm -hmm. and that's why adults can't, that's the whole point of the book is the adults without 
having their childhood restored in a way can't can't fight uh, like a shape-shifting demon because they can't really believe in it mm-hmm. anymore. That's not what they're afraid of anymore. So that's uh, all those ideas that are in that wonderful book are are played with here. I think. This is not a disciplined book. That's uh, that's oh, why not it's not not well, that's why it's not academic, right? So when when Lovecraft does supernatural horror and literature, I, which I have not read from beginning to end, I always start reading it and then I I start researching that story and bringing it into the public domain or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. finding a copy and reading that. Um, but I've read lots of it and and there's a couple different versions as well. Um, that is much more of a survey of things with judgments. Whereas mm-hmm. this is much more digressive and it, Lovecraft isn't even trying to be it like, you know, ivory tower style, um, academic, right? Uh, because that he wasn't really that guy, but this is almost anti that. Like if you, well, I think where they're similar, I think there's some similarities, uh, both sort of cover the fiction of their lifetime yes. in a way. I guess yes. Lovecraft goes a little bit farther back. Um, but basically it's, this is, this is 1950 to 1980, right? Is the premise for this book. And, and Lovecraft's kind of 1880 to 1930 or so, whatever. Exactly. Um, both kind of have a theory, although King has a lot of ideas. Mm -hmm. He's got the Dionysian. I like that. um, I thought that was really good. He's got the social horror stuff. He's got a lot of good ideas. He's got the, the terror horror gross out Mm -hmm. idea. He's got, you know, Lovecraft kind of centers on one big idea. Of fear of the unknown, mm-hmm. and then you got like a lot of text looked at uh, following the ideas. So there's some similarities in them, but yeah, I think Lovecraft's work is yeah a little bit more. Oh, it's way shorter. It's not so chatty. It's <laughs> no, it's a little. There's lots of judgments in it, more serious. But every sentence, if you read is Lovecraft's letters, dense. You know how much he researched it. Cause when you read his letters, he's talking about, I'm working on this and mm-hmm. it took him a long time to write it. And he had to read a lot of books that he didn't read before. Mm-hmm. He was kind of approaching it like a researcher, but you get the sense that King just sat down at his typewriter every day between well, writing novels and put out a few pages of this. I don't know. Uh, he does. He, he, he said it took three months or something, which is uh, not nothing for him. Uh, and yeah. he did write to some of the living people, you know, that he was, he was going to be talking about their books and got their stuff and included some of that. But he also was a guy who had grown up in the 50s and 60s and 70s and was going to all these B-movies. His love of B-movies and, and yeah. B-horror movies is is quite good. Um, I, only one I watched all the way through that was a recommendation in here uh, was that um, uh, I was a teenage werewolf. Um, which is a good movie. <laughs> um, and it is a horror movie. And I, you know, one of the things that I object to when people are you know, doing those Lovecraft explainers is they say, Lovecraft's a horror writer. Or, and I'm like, that's kind of, but he's not really. I mean, he is, but it's not, it's not, uh, you know, what, what, does he do the gross out? Yes. In a couple of stories, there's a, a kind of gross out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there, it's always the cosmic that is the, it's the arch tiny place in the universe and the vast uncaringness that always is the more bigger. And I don't, I don't feel that that's true at all of King's work, but I do think that he is tapping into that 
uh, idea through the idea that he's talking about mostly with the Shirley Jackson haunting of Hill House. When he says, um, how was, how's the opening of that book go? It's like, um, the house, uh, never dreamed. Therefore it, it saw reality as it is something like that. Yeah. I can find the, that quote. I that guess. was a very, in their Wikipedia, uh, for the, uh, novel. Yeah. I believe that's, oh, it's on, it's public domain in Canada. There you go. I'm hoping for an audiobook of that sometime soon. Let's see here. It's not on the Wikipedia. It's no, such a good quote. It, um, it's it's how he. I think it's the opening of of Salem's Lot. Here, I've got it. Which is a haunted house story to some degree. No living organism can continue for long to exist sanely under conditions of absolute reality. Even larks and katydids are supposed by some to dream. Hill House, not sane, stood by itself against its hills, holding darkness within. It had stood for eighty years and might stand for eighty more. So, uh, the idea that, uh, it seems, uh, again, a book I have not read yet. Um, the idea seems to be that in going into a haunted house and talking about ghosts, um, you bring something to it. And this is actually my theory of ghosts as well. You know, ghosts don't exist in the real world except where human brains are. Um, I, I, on the podcast years ago, I'm sure I said the story about how I went hiking on the weekends and we would always want to go farther and farther up the mountain. But by the time you get up there, you have to turn around because the sun's going to go down and you can't go back in the dark. Right. So, um, we would get up earlier and earlier. And one day we got up, you know, 4am or something like that and started up the trail and, stopped we all saw something ahead and i i saw something there and i did not want to say what it was and i asked my friends what what it was and they one says it's a guy with an axe <laughs> <He's> like, shit <laughs> and he says the other guy says, it's a guy with a machete and i'm like oh god that's confirming what i'm thinking and i said i think we should go home now <laughs> <laughs> so the idea of of you know when we return to the spot the next day in the part of the trail uh, looking for evidence of this guy with an axe or a guy with a machete or whatever I a chainsaw, whatever it is I thought it was. Um, and there's like a big white rock there, right? That can reflect yeah. whatever starlight's there and whatever fears we have. Um, so when he has the theory that the, ha- the haunted house and the ghosts are, and this is, I guess, a literary theory that mm-hmm. authors apply, that the ghosts apply, um, or at least some authors use apply the uh, psychology only it can affect the psychology of persons rather than objects in the real world, right? So a movie like Poltergeist, which I believe is after, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's not mentioned in this book, um, is not a good example of that because that is a although that's a very Stephen King sort of story, isn't it? Have you seen that movie? I think. You know, yeah, I'm Indian burial ground and uh, yeah, house. maybe. Yeah. I don't think he approaches. I don't, it's been a while since I've seen that one. Um, it's a scary like his, movie. His best ghost story is probably Bag of Bones, which is very gothic. He's very mm. much drawing from the gothic tradition, and it's it's more subtle. Um, but again, yeah, ultimately you end up with a buried corpse and having to deal with that. So. Maybe. I mean, in combining the gross out, the terror, and the horror, I think Poltergeist has all of that. Mm-hmm. Maybe they don't quite make the terror level quite as quite as well, but 
So can you go through? Because it was real uh, monsters at the end, right? In Poltergeist, as I remember. I mean, they are are the noisy ghost is what the poltergeist is, right? Yeah. It's it's not a specter, which is, I tell my students, spectral means it's a ghost you can see rather than a ghost Mm -hmm. that, you know, just does stuff, moves your moves your coffee or whatever. Uh, so the the idea of of um the terror the horror terror and gross out and these are descending this is how, uh, this is i guess how you sold me on this book right is it's part of his thesis or one of the theses he has is that there's three levels of horror and the first and best is horror the second best is terror. terror he says is the best terror That's... is the best Okay. Yeah, that's the that's the supernatural breaking into your mundane world on some level. Right. The unexplainable. It's the it, it's it's the ball walk, like rolling on the wall or something. Mm. And horror is the is revelation. Yeah, the monster. Mm. So he talks about Lovecraft opening that door a little bit. Although in a lot of his later books, he opens it up fully. You you see the monsters. Um, and he he but, seems to be uh, obsessed personally. He seems to be obsessed with at the mountains of madness, which uh, when I started reading it, I found it incredibly boring, um, and thought I'll come back to this when I have more time because it's kind of boring. Um, but yeah, he definitely knows Lovecraft because he's he's written like Jerusalem's Lot, which is a very much the, him as a young young man right in the Lovecraft style, mm-hmm. and. You know, he 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 knows Lovecraft better than he exposes in this book. I, I think. I I, th- he, I don't think he mentions Philip K. Dick in here, but I I yeah. feel like he should have read those Dick horror stories, like the Father Thing and and mm-hmm. uh, the Hanging Stranger, because they are very much um, horror horror in, in greater than than. And and you know through the eyes even some of, of the novels like Three Stigmata of Homer Eldridge mm. the the way he deals with drugs in some of those sixties novels mm. very much touchy on horror I think yeah I, yeah I mean the Babatron book when the eye in the sky has has a whole horror oh, yeah. world mm-hmm. and it's pretty horrible um horrible from a kid's point of view but also. Uh, uh, you know, I operate, and I don't know if you know this, I operate on kind of two levels. One is basically <laughs> I'm a child. <laughs> I, I, I get along with really little kids pretty well, and I can deal with teenagers pretty well. Um, and then there's the, all the adults, and I'm like, I, I don't get, I don't, I can, I can pretend to be one of you for a few minutes, but I, I'm not one of you because I care about, um, you know, vampires and stuff like that. <laughs> so, uh, operating on the child level, I can see, oh my God, that's horrible. And then operating on the adult lever level, I can see, oh yeah, the horror of bills. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> oh my God, I, I don't want to talk about IRAs or, or, <laughs> well, I don't even know the names of, you know, NFTs or <laughs> anything to do with, you know, financial stuff because I, it's just so boring. And so that's the horror of like being confronted by a stack of, papers you have to go through <laughs> that aren't, aren't fun to read. So, uh, I think, I think he is really good at that 
capturing that sense of of what kids are like and that's why the stand uh not the stand um uh, the one that got turned into stand by me whatever that was called oh the body it's called body right um he's captured kids perfectly in that right um because that literally is something he did and that you know talking about how his friends viewed it but th- those kids all grew up right and yeah he has a he has his own kid joe right who he goes to the movies with and uh has semi good takes and semi bad takes just like in as an adult uh, <laughs> and then he has a wife and he has uh you know to worry about a job here and there once in a while but for the most part he's able to regress himself in a certain sense back to that period of time when it made made sense to be afraid of the wrong things <laughs> to be yeah fearful. he's really on this i think he's on to something when he talks he's like he doesn't doesn't do it very well here in this no. book where he's trying to like what is it that makes someone capable of writing this stuff and he's mm-hmm. like oh i look at their pictures and like i see in their eyes that they're mm. still they still got the child in their eyes or something mm-hmm. like that and I don't know if he does that very well because his the analysis is kind of like I looked at their our author portraits. Mm. There's just something in in Peter Straub's eyes or something. Well, no, he he's yeah. he's a friend of Straub and he wrote a book together, right? Yeah, no, maybe it wasn't Straub he was talking about. Who was it? Yeah, he was, was talking about a number Colin of, Ellison or someone. But again, he knows him, right? So yeah. uh, Bradbury looks like a child, and he, Bradbury acts like a child too, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. Um, but uh, the the one I was most interested in is somebody I've never read, and I've seen his books and. I just never, uh, but it makes me really want to read is James Herbert. Um, you know, I'd heard of Ramsey Campbell and I heard people liked him, but, um, his defense of James Herbert as the modern pulp, uh, guy who can compete with Robert E. Howard. And honestly, I think his take on Howard is pretty good because Howard's, uh, I've heard his stuff either. Robert oh, Howard? Howard, yeah. Robert no, e. Howard. I haven't read the other guy, yeah. James Herbert. Yeah. No, well, James he's Herbert, British. Yeah. He never would, right? <laughs> well, I might come across him at some point. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm hoping to find something of his to do. I, lo- I did look him up. I believe he has a book called The Crabs, which is just giant crabs coming out of the ocean. And I'm like, awesome. <laughs> awesome. You know, like, just... It, it, and working on that level, like, uh, of those B-movies, like The Blob and... And, uh, and, and his take on how, I mean, I think th- there is a lot of danger in enjoying B movies, um, uh, too much. Um, but he seems to be, um, uh, both a connoisseur and an appreciator of the, the B movies that work on uh, his movie analysis is very, very good. I think it, oh. it probably has something to do with his ability to get sort of writing done. Mm hmm. What do you think about that? I think they're somehow connected. Like, um, it's his fondness for movies and sense, uh, but you know, like w- knowing that a movie, how a movie scene works and why oh, it yeah. works. I, I, I think that's true when you read his books. It's like he, I think one thing he does really well though, that, that movies don't always do so well as it gets you into the head of characters Mm -hmm. but when he constructs set pieces i think there's cinematic Mm -hmm. influence in a a lot of his 
a lot of his great moments, the really memorable moments. But he, he, you can see on film in your head. Yeah, I'm not even saying like his movies or his books, right, could turn into movies well or something like that. I'm saying more like because they don't. No, no, they don't. Uh, But when he, when he talks about you know watching a bad movie, um, but there's a scene where something really cooks in that scene. It's because it's hitting on something, uh, if not real, obviously not a lot of this stuff is real. Um, it's a, he calls it a frisson, <laughs> which is probably as yeah. close as he comes to, uh, to, uh, being academic, academic y, you know? <laughs> I, I, I'm helping students write these papers that are like, okay, so I'm going to explain to you what's really going on here. And then we're going to write the bullshit for your teacher. Okay. <laughs> Cause your teacher wants the bullshit. You need to hit the, you need to hit these six bullshit points. <laughs> I want you to know, I want you to know now this is bullshit and that's bullshit. And this has some value, but no, 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 this whole thing's garbage. Okay. What you're writing here is garbage. Just so you know, <laughs> because the premise is broken, right? Um, and it's because the teachers are operating, you know, like if you want to know, if you want to know what, uh, how to get a good mark, you, you basically have to know what your teacher wants. That's the only thing. I have. And I think what's interesting is I don't think King ever is writing for his audience. I think he's all, always writing for himself, um, based on, you know, the fact that he's got these, you know, he's not hitting, uh, series very often, right? He comes back to it occasionally, but he can sense that pull from the publishers and stuff. But it just so happens, like Bray Bradbury, um, he's uh, in syncopation with sort of the, a large part of the reading audience that's out there. Um, and somehow that is, it's, it's why yeah, he talks about Hollywood a lot. He talks about how MGM is going to go out of business. He mentions this like twice, right? In a book that's about horror, <laughs> about how MGM's, uh, you know, Las Vegas, uh, thing is because they, they're not very good at making movies, but somehow mm-hmm. they keep making, they keep going out of business in the industry that's very easy to make money at. Um, and, if you live in Los Angeles, like Harlan Ellison does, and he talks about that, how it just drives you up the wall, right? Because there's these guys who know nothing about storytelling trying to tell you how to write a story. So I think there's something to his connection to movies and storytelling that gets him good at what he's doing. And I, he's right about the Twilight Zone and Night Gallery and the Outer Limits. Uh, it doesn't sound like he's seen that much of the Outer Limits. But uh, did you notice um, it was one of the things I mentioned to you, um, that story by Robert E. Howard uh, called um, The P- Pigeons from Hell was mentioned in here? Yeah, uh, yeah I caught that. Th- yeah, thriller. That That's probably the only thriller one that's on YouTube. Um mm-hmm. But it's an adaptation of a Howard story, and it is a haunted house story. The main difference between it and the one that uh, Howard tells to Lovecraft is that the characters are white in the in mm-hmm. the comic, or not the comic, the original story, um, whereas it's a black horror to- a story, and it makes more sense yeah. that way. You you're driving through the back roads because you don't want to get uh, beaten up by the white sheriffs, right? Um, you've come across a house in the middle of the woods. It's an old plantation house. 
and you go in there for shelter and uh you come out um insane after one of your uh one of the two of you black guys got uh, axed in the head by the other or whatever maybe there's three guys i don't remember but the the important part is it's it's like a folk tale and it has some truths underneath it in the same way that uh, hansel and gretel has some truths underneath it which are really fucking scary truths right hansel gretel is a story about a about a um a famine yeah, he's good on that, I think. Oh, no, there's no, there's oh, no, there's no food. So we have to do something and we do this and it, we treat it like a little story that we tell to kids and it's a cute little story, but what is it really? It's a story about a, a horrible truth that, yeah, you can't. Yeah. And it's not just that, you know, kids have to die because there's not enough food. It's why it's always the stepmom. Mm. Well, because you lose parents too, it's not, mm-hmm. right? And then people remarry, and and, and and then you don't notice that the evil witch, or you don't tell the people that the evil yeah. witch is actually the stepmom, and that yeah. it's even worse than you think because dad went along with it, right? Mm-hmm. That's why he went along with it is because she she bewitched him. <laughs> it's like wow, powerful stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I got to read pictures from hell. It's a good story. Just watch the thriller. Yeah, it's a good story. Episode. It's scary. It's not my favorite of his. It doesn't feel exactly like a normal um, uh, Howard story, right? It doesn't have the you know central character who dominates the room in a, you know in whatever way he would. Even if it's even if he's dumb, he's he's strong or something else. It's more like the story dominates there, which is unusual for him. Um, and, and it's not, it's not him doing like a Lovecraft story either. It's, it's him retelling a, a genuine folktale, American folktale. Uh, you didn't, go for it. I was wondering what you thought of the, because you're, I mean, you've built this podcast around the audio, right? Mm. So what do you think of the chapter on... Audio drama? Dramas. Yeah, yeah, he's right. Where he sort of thinks it, there's like greater potential in that in the oh, audio he's... than there is in the, like the TV because he he seems a bit down on TV, like with the yep. The, the, I guess it's like the studio stuff. That... He's right. Um, CBS Radio Mystery Theater, which he talks about as an extant. Um, yeah, but he thinks there's a lot of it's. He kind of mourns the the end of the radio drama. CBS Radio Mystery Theater was uh, was like seventy. You want to say seventy four to seventy nine or something like that. And it yeah. was not good. It was it was sometimes good. Mostly it was yeah. it was like mediocre. And and the way he describes its existence as kind of like a fluke that it's still around. He's right. Fifties um, radio drama was still happening. Uh, he talks a lot about suspense, which is a very good show. Um, and that goes right back, I think, into the forties, um, maybe possibly in the thirties as well. And there's tons of episodes of those and they do work. They're, they're very pulpy largely and they have a lot of, um, really good storytelling medium. And he's right about how the revelations of horror through the medium of, of audio drama is superior largely to, mm-hmm. to most. Uh, this is why, you know, a movie like, um, 
uh, alien, which he talks about, right, yeah. is is good. It's because it's so dark. It's hard to see things. And when the thing is revealed, you generally don't get that good a look at it. Like, I didn't know that the alien was a guy in a suit until, you know, quite late. <laughs> Like not watching the movie, I didn't. I could. I could. I didn't even see it as a human form. With, with. I, I just. I didn't. I didn't. I guess I didn't think about how it was done at all. Right. Mm-hmm. It, I was just not there. Was it a? Pu- I didn't think. Is is it a puppet or anything like that? Um, it is not obvious in the movie how it is done because you're not thinking about how it was made. Which is a lot of times what you're thinking about when you're watching sort of a B movie. It's like, oh, okay, I see how they did that. Because you're paying attention to things that are, um, there as sort of decoration while you're waiting for the movie to be over. Um, and so in audio drama, it works incredibly well because everything, only thing, only the things that you're given give you the picture, the sounds, the dialogue. And he's right about how, you have this sort of funny way of describing what's happening. And uh, bad audio dramatists do this still, but there's not that many of them because they sort of stopped doing it. There are a lot, and there has been a revival of audio drama on, as uh, podcasts, uh, mm. largely. And, and I'm not talking about these shitty things that people think they're inventing where they get a, an audiobook and they put in sound effects and then, you know, the door creaked open. <laughs> and the dark creek closed, <laughs> which some people do, or they add music to it and they think that that makes it an audio. Like some people just don't know what they're doing, right? They think they're mm-hmm. inventing something. I'm not talking about those people. There are some genuine practitioners of this thing. Uh, Julie Hoverson runs a website uh, devoted to this, and she's good at promoting those many, many audio dramas that are out there. They are generally done as quasi amateur or there were some that are wholly amateur and I'm sure there's still some that are wholly amateur um, generally being supported by Patreons and stuff like that now and they're really good and they're a whole other storytelling medium um, in, I was saying just the other day in comics um, I was reading uh, the new Reckless book this is a book by Phillips and uh, another guy uh, Brubaker um, Phillips mm-hmm. is the artist, Brubaker's the writer, and they're really good. It's what makes me read comics. He's right about, uh, comics are basically, uh, superheroes are stupid, <laughs> unless you're six. They're really, really stupid. I loved them when I was six, and I was ten, and then I started getting into the X-Men, because I was a little more sophisticated, and then I'm like, I'm done with superheroes, I like this other stuff, this Conan seems pretty interesting. Um, Comics are a really good medium for certain things, and it's very visual. Um, but audio drama is really good at at horror and terror. Um, not so good as at as at gross out, um, but they're still pretty good at grossing you out as well because those sounds can create a a whole thing going on in your head. It's kind of like a skill, like watching. Uh, play in the movie theater. It's a, it's a whole phenomenon where you get trained up and you know how to engage with it. You know, they're not moving this castle around. It's just one stage. I don't under, like, you can sort of get into it and sort of pay attention to the performances and stuff like that. But 
audio drama is good and his his take is pretty good i'm not um super duper familiar with arch obler i do know and have read you know heard some of his stuff um but he uh, he's not you know he was listening to it when it was uh, it was actually on i was i'm only getting what <laughs> was on the internet and a little bit of cassettes in the 80s so i'm i'm not as experienced on that but his his chapter on on horror audio drama is really good and he proved it uh when he he authorized that the mist adaptation the audio drama the mist did you hear that because we did the show on that and i'm pretty sure we I did that but out. i didn't i didn't listen to the oh it's really drama. good it's it's i think it's the superior version of the three media right the movie the um the book and the audio drama the audio drama is even yeah. better in a in a l- large way because it gets the hysteria uh going and you can't see what it is you know ultimately we see the stuff through the mist it's it's like that blackness it's white it's a white blackness right we see the tentacle come out or whatever but just hearing the door rattling and hearing the reaction of the actors to what they're seeing <laughs> causes a kind of um horror in you that you don't want to listen to it late at night driving down the road in the fog it would not be good yeah. for you so he's he's very very good on on audio drama and he gets it so as much as yeah, i, I hate him as a shit lib i gotta give him credit he knows his stuff well i think he, the gross out is maybe even better in the audio drama i think he makes that point mm-hmm. with the is it the dentist or the catching the guy who's banging his wife or something and <laughs> wants to right he's like i'm gonna let a little view out <laughs> and like the, the image is like drilling into him somewhere mm-hmm. but you don't know where no so you just got to kind of imagine it so it's up to you to fill in the but that that kind of it connects you better to your own anxieties mm-hmm. which i think is a big part of horror right that's Absolutely. another thing King talks a lot about too, how it's it's so much a reflection of your own anxieties, right? Mm-hmm. Which is why he thinks it's kind of a healthy interest to have in horror. There's like, a there's a it's 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 got that cathartic element to it, right? There's a an episode of uh CBS Radio Mystery Theater. Um I, I found it by accident by just searching and searching mm-hmm. and searching because they have like thirteen hundred and ninety nine episodes. And there are about 40, 45 minutes each. Um, and they're really interesting to listen to because sometimes you get to hear, not in every recording, but often you get to hear like the news in between, you know, at the quarter of the hour or whatever and the weather report or whatever. And so you get like, oh, the Vietnamese refugees. And it's like, oh, that's interesting. And the metric system. <laughs> what? <laughs> We're bringing in the metric system. Uh, but, uh, Alfred Bester, who, you know, is a famous science fiction writer, even though he's only got two novels, basically, um, and um, two handfuls of short stories that most people don't know. He actually wrote quite a few episodes for uh, them, and one of them was an uncredited, <laughs> he didn't credit the original title, uh, adaptation of Fondly Fahrenheit, which is a terrific story. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. that story? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, that is a one that, you know, I think works better as an audiobook or an audio drama than it could ever work as a film unless you know you make it like a very trippy dream cartoon thing because 
perspective is important in that story. And like knowing who is who and who is doing what and what the mutilation looks like and, and hearing, you know, what they did to that, what, what, what the bad guy did to the kid. Um, it's gruesome and, and that's good. So he's, uh, that chapter was very good. Um, you know what I was very impressed with about this book is he's doing pretty amazing work for a guy without the internet. Cause yeah, um, honestly, this is really easy uh, to put a book together like this today. No problem. <laughs> I mean, writing it might be the hard part, but getting, getting all the materials and doing the research, never been easier, right? Even if you're well, he used uh, like a lot of like reference books on yes. science fiction and things like yeah, that. Yeah. And Starlog magazines. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously he's a collector and he has access to some of his own collection, but he also, you know, probably got out. Those books, and then he also wrote his friends to find out, and he has particular stories about Harlan Ellison to draw from, and he's read a lot of books. But the fact that this is as good as it as it is without the internet is very, very good. And obviously, he's updated it in a few places here and there. He mentions that in the there's like an hour of introduction introductory material, right? Yeah, that's. I don't know. What do you think of that section? It's good. That's like it's more the, of the same. You know, it's it. It sounded to me more like his opinions of what movies he's he's like mm-hmm. watching, which, which to some is, degree is the whole book is yeah, kind of doing a, indeed. Um, so it's okay, but I don't know. It's like throughout the whole book, you either you can agree with them or not. But the it's it's such a nice to go with him and and. Hears opinions. That's why I don't think right. this it's is the like definitive. Being like a YouTuber or something. Yes, yes. It, well, I mean, <laughs> how many YouTubers make their whole thing just Stephen King reviews? You know. Yeah, it's a it's a big thing. Um, but he, I do like that he goes back before that period of time talking about Frankenstein and mm. Jack, Dr. Jekyll, and Mr. Hyde. Oh, the tarot. Yeah, that's a really good idea. I think he has is the, the yeah. four card tarot. I mean, he only really talks about three in detail. He kind of saves the one, the ghost story for mm-hmm. for later. But the what was it the 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 werewolf, vampire, the, werewolf, vampire is the outside horror, right. right? The outside evil. Then you got the thing with no name is Frankenstein. The werewolf. Well, that's is... the that's the technological horror, right? It's right, Frankenstein. Right, and then uh, the thing with no name might be the the vampire uh the, the outside evil the outside evil the outside right? evil is the werewolf or that's the, no, that's the, the, the werewolf's the internal right? the internal yeah the thing yeah. from within they came from within which is not a, another yeah. one I, I was surprised how many i had read or seen um mm-hmm. you know i the fact that i i haven't seen a, i married a monster from outer space okay <laughs> or horror of the or beach party, party. Yeah, or at Party Beach. I got to see that. <laughs> that Apparently, like there's a whole genre of horror movies about like. I don't. I can when see I it. looked at the wiki for the horror at Party Beach, uh-huh. it's. It looks it good. Sounded like there's other films in the similar genre, <laughs> like here, the Beach Girls and the Monster. Yeah, why well, it brings two things we like together, Another right? Movie. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I've read a little bit of Peter Straub. Have you read any of his stuff? 
I mean, I read the stuff he wrote with with King. I I got to read Ghost Story. Yeah, it I, sounds I good. Need to read it for a long time. And uh, it's he, just ghost ghost tales aren't my favorite. I guess. No, no, of not the tarot. either. If you're gonna take that four card tarot deck, I I like the other three a lot, but the Ghost Story. I don't know. Maybe it's too adjacent to uh, Gothic, which has never been my favorite either. So yeah. Uh, what about Ramsey Campbell? Again, this is a guy who I've, I don't think I've read anything by, but who I've heard a lot of good things about. But because he's British and I didn't have his books when I was a kid, I didn't get into him. Mm-hmm. Have you read any of his? Yeah, books? I haven't really read too much. Actually, there's not much in his in his analysis of books that I have read. Haunting of Hill House, of course. Uh, Body Snatchers, I've, I've read. But mm-hmm. Shrinking Not Man? Any other. Shrinking Man, yeah, I've read. That that I thought that it's was a very a short book. Read. Yeah. But that was a great read of It is a good man. read. It's like this this male anxiety, right? What's and funny is I think he he can't satisfy his wife anymore that kind of stuff <laughs> yeah. or or being def, you know the mundane household things. That, that kind of a, you could almost do a feminist reading of this too. It's such like, a weird book. It's like the it's the woman's domain, the house. And yeah. so it's what's in the house is what ultimately is. The thing that threw me off of great. that when I read that book, I was like he's not he's not the truck driver's not gay. He's a child molester. He thinks the guy's a yeah. kid. And what's so <laughs> funny is he's traumatized. He's traumatized by the fact that this guy might molest him right mm-hmm. but he he doesn't have any sort of greater concern for society that this is happening like a lot <laughs> like yeah it's just it's all about him and the problems he's having and what what's so funny is that that's like it's it is apolitical it, it has no agenda it's just about exploring the idea and the idea is like he's as a man getting smaller that's that's the whole idea Right. So all the things that happened to him, all the, the horrors and the terrors of, you know, the cat and the bird and the spider, um, and his daughter, uh, treating him like a kid and his wife, like treating him like a child, like all that mm-hmm. stuff is, it's, it's all, it's all. And whenever I read Richard Matheson's, I, I think about this a lot, except, except in the one that he does mention here as well, which is, um, I am legend, right? Um, mm-hmm. it's all about the, the self. It's all about the, uh, my personal psychiatric <laughs> reaction to whatever's going on. And that is, I find it a little bit hard to understand what, what the appeal is. Like, uh, I'm so selfish. I can't think through other, like other people's mm-hmm. drama. Um, see, he doesn't have any, it's like, it's like presented with the horror and it's like, oh, it was horrible. <laughs> it's not like, wow, this must be rough for other people or <laughs> whatever. Like, well, King kind of revisits this at this, uh, this child molester moment within the talisman. Um, okay. Which is, it, which that's is a wonderful Straub, quote. isn't it? Yeah, it's with Straub, but I think King must have written this part of it because it was written around this time when he, that he wrote this book and the, the scene is he's got to travel across the, the country, alternating between this fantasy world and the real world. And a lot of the novels spent in the real world, and he's hitchhiking and things. And he this he's like twelve or fourteen, some age like that. And the guy he's get, getting a ride from is a child molester, hmm. and he says something like the character, the the the, the kid says something like, I, "Oh, I'm strictly AC or I use yeah, that AC same language. DC." That's right. Yeah, yeah. It, 
I never heard that. I never about I, being straight before, but I've but I've, I've seen it's it a, here and in there. It's a boomer phrase, I think. <laughs> it might be, but that's that's I think King maybe doing taking this criticism of Matheson kind of seriously and said, I'm going to do it. He uses everything, man. Differently. He really yeah. uses everything. I, there's so many incidents where he, he talks about something. I almost felt like I could see Revival in here, which is, you know, a much later yeah, That's book. written much later, yeah. But I feel it's, like there's a lot of Revival in his childhood that he's drawing from mm-hmm. and throwing yeah. into that book that makes, makes it really I think what's work. different is you don't see there's – there's, he's talking about death, but it's like the horrible – death is what he's focusing on in dance macabre mm-hmm. right it's like what's really terrifying is the horrible death but i think in his later work like revival and like you see it in a lot of the stories in bizarre bad dreams it's just like the aging is there's which is something he's not thinking about as a 30 year old he's not I, thinking I, about aging i thought about thinner so when i was uh, and this is yeah. a book i've not read uh, i read a lot about books before i read them generally so yeah. I, uh, it sounded like, oh, I can see where Thinner came from because it, it's got that sort of carnival-esque uh, explanation for we don't really care why this is happening. It's just it, – which Thinner is a lot like uh, – structurally, it sounds like, like uh, The Shrinking Man or The Incredible Shrinking Man. Yeah. And I think I might have even seen that Lily Tomlin movie, <laughs> The Incredible Shrinking <laughs> Woman or whatever. Um, <laughs> but it is a ridiculous premise, right? That's the thing is – you can see why, uh, you know, treating it, treating it like a, a serious science fictional idea. It is not science fiction. It is, uh, the best way to catch it would be with fantasy because that allows mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff. But there, he is right. They're using, um, uh, Matheson's using 20th century magic, you know, uh, poison rats rat spray or bug spray and radiation right you just combine those two things together and you get mothra or godzilla right it's it's allowed now and we can do the story we want um have you seen the amityville horror because that's a movie i didn't want to see because it sounded really stupid but i think his um i think i started watching it at at, at one point and they remade like it i was recently. going through a lot of Horror movies from that period, and I, I didn't get through it. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it might be worth revisiting. Mm-hmm. I haven't. I haven't tried watching it since I read this book. What about um, uh, Ira Levin? So Ira Levin. Uh, what's interesting to me about him is I always thought of him as a guy who dabbled in science fiction, um, and I think that's correct. But I think he was an outsider and like i don't think he got the he didn't hang out at the science fiction like he's kind of like margaret atwood in that respect doesn't hang out yeah. with the with the gutter people like harlan ellison and such um but his the stuff i've read of his is very um very good at what uh, you know he's doing and it is very much sort of 70s uh techno thriller in a certain sense or, go- you mm-hmm. know, urban gothic. I'm trying to th- remember uh, the name of the one we did recently. That's probably three or four years ago. Urban. What's it called? I, I, I'm thinking of thinking through this phrase "urban gothic" uh, in my head. Because uh, King goes on quite like about the Southern Gothic, but I, yeah, I think he touches on the urban. Uh, this perfect. Day. I, I've only That's seen a... this guy's movies. I mean, I've, I've seen, of course, Rosemary's Wives* Baby? and yeah. *Rosemary's Baby*. Mm-hmm. 
but I haven't read any Satirist of it. Satirist is, is what uh, oh. I, I guess he's going for, right? But This Perfect Day, that is a, in my view, that is a book that can stand toe-to-toe with 1984 and Brave New World and possibly beat both of them. Mm-hmm. And that is not saying nothing, right? Brave New World yeah. has a lot going for it. 1984 is very depressing. <laughs> it makes a compelling argument. This Perfect Day is like both of those, except it's it doubles down on the utopia part. And you come away thinking, you know, it's kind of like um, if you know the there was a movie of it too, The Giver. Um, it's a di- dystopia oh, yeah. by way of being a utopia. Everybody... You know, violence is gone and everybody's equal, but some people have to pay the price for that. Um, mm-hmm. And with uh, This Perfect Day, um, it's set in a future where uh, – I'll just read the little coda thing they sing throughout. Christ, Mark's wooden way, led us to this perfect day. Mark's wood way and Christ, all but way, were sacrificed. Wood, way, Christ, and Mark's gave us lovely schools and parks. Way, Christ, Mark's, and wood made us humble made us good um and so in the same way that uh ford um our ford oh from, yeah in brave new world right is uh manufacturing humans um these figures uh christ marks wood and way are the sort of uh way is wei are the people who who are revered for making their perfect society and it it's like if you if you can be a guy who comes out of uh, from outside the genre and do the genre as good or better than the best within it, and I guess that's how a lot of people would think of uh, 1984 and Huxley, right? They're they're not considered science fiction by most people, right? Because they don't think about that. Most people don't class. Uh, they might say, "Oh yeah, I guess it is science fiction," right? Um, and they don't feel like uh, at least uh 1984 doesn't feel like science fiction. You have to sort of sort of see it because it wasn't written for the pulps. It wasn't written for it's much more like Wells in a certain sense. But this horror genre and I think his his analysis of of literature as a being three kinds, what was it? The pulps um <laughs> I want to say midlist, but that's not what it was. Um mainstream fiction, I guess is not the word he used for it. And then uh, literature? <laughs> that, was that the three? He was classified? Yeah, I guess. Right? He kind of centers more on the mainstream. That's his... Like, the paperbacks on the shelf seems to be... Well, I, so Ira Levin from. is mainstream, right? He's, yeah. He's, 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 he's snubbed by the, the, the best people, right? They don't think it's literature. He won't be studied in universities. Mm-hmm. Um... And, uh, you know, anything that Asimov wrote is, you know, pulp. And then there's that, uh, Harold Robbins or whoever, you know, those, those, uh, bestsellers, uh, whoever wrote Taipan and, uh, you know, those. Oh, what's that guy? Is that, is that like Michener kind of? <laughs> James Michener sort of books, right? Yeah. The big thick novels that you would see at the airport, right? Or, mm-hmm. <laughs> What would later fill Tom Clancy's spot, you know, or earlier had Tom Clancy's, what would be Tom Clancy's spot. So dividing them up that way and seeing like, oh, yes, you is there like, so you, you, you're talking, we, we talked about your, um, 
your uh, podcast, American Writers, and you were you were going to include um, who's the guy who got British citizenship, and then <laughs> uh, started writing. Uh, Is it Henry James? Henry James, right? So yeah, you're saying I, he's I still American. Henry James. He's still American, even though he he left the UK or left for the UK, and you know gives up his mm-hmm. American life. Um, and he's writing that uh, that book that's mentioned in here, um, The Turn of the Screw, right? Mm-hmm. But he doesn't spend a lot of time with it. And it's because it is that sort of um, high-end, highbrow fiction doing lowbrow horror fiction in a certain sense. It's a ghost story. Yeah. It's a really good book. But it is not aimed at the right audience of these, you know, B-movie mainstream people mm-hmm. who he's he, he yeah i get the sense though he with literature he does he's so much in that mainstream lane with these novels that he looks at because he doesn't he like you say he doesn't touch the literature and i don't know where the gutter would start or end for well that's for literature yeah but with the movies he had no problem going into the gutter like the oh beach, he lives in the, the monster on beach beach yeah the the or beach party, whatever. He likes those. It's, well, he he would talked about, uh, and I don't know if you know how much about this. He called. He talked about the shutter pulps. Yeah, um, well, so a little bit. He classified the weird tales as a shutter pulp. I do not think that weird tales is it. I think. Yeah. I think I, I, sh- weird tales has shutter pulp stuff in it occasionally, but uh, uh, shutter pulps are more like uh, fetish. <laughs> mm. yeah. more like uh horror fetishing and like uh i mean it's not so much high heels crushing i don't know well he definitely whatever, read but weird tale stuff but i'm like he's read lovecraft of course yes but he like when he talks about it he's got this idea of the cover right the cover of the scantily clad oh, woman yes. and that's where the, the connection cover. is right between yeah. weird tales and the shutter pulp, oh, sh- you know, you got the shutter pulps will have a guy like with a, a a torture rack torturing a lady, and then there's like a bunch of dead ladies' heads next to the bucket he's working on, right? Like it's it's torture fiction in a certain sense on the cover, and there's a hero who comes in saves the girl or whatever, um, but it's cults and it's all it's all the things sort of people would you know not super. Uh, thinking about satanic panic it is the sat- it's it's what you should be satanic panicking about right um what's the wikipedia entry for this weird menace is what they're calling weird it. menace that's mm-hmm. yeah 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 and exactly the image on the wikipedia for this is a woman being sacrificed it's almost always a woman being t- tortured yeah. and what's funny is this this blends and morphs all the time so uh pulp covers um alex's twitter account yeah. you know he tweets tweets a lot of um man pulp magazines from the 70s 60s and these are like mm-hmm. uh, i <laughs> there was one like i tortured the nazi <laughs> i escaped the nazi dagger girls or something like that and then the next one will be another dagger girls um and they're like based on true stories right i'm qu- using air quotes around and they are kind of true stories but their titles are hyperbolized right some guy saw a ss wife one time <laughs> <laughs> and she had a Nazi SS dagger, so I escaped the Nazi dagger girls. Um, <laughs> so um, those those are tapping into a certain kind of mental 
uh, space that men are into. And what's interesting is horror, he doesn't talk a lot about this, but I thought it was really interesting, is horror is seems to be a, a more popular with women than, uh, maybe not 100% more popular, more popular than women than with men mm-hmm. by uh, compared to other genres is what I'm going to say. Like, so science fiction seems to be popular with women, but I would say as a audience uh, for films, right? As, as an audience, you know, you get more guys wanting to see the James Bond movie than uh, girls. Um, but as horror, women seem really into it. And I think there's something about that, watching those B movies on first dates where you, it's, it's the same thing as you go to the, um, amusement park and you you go up this uh incline and then you come down on this horrible roller coaster right and you have that feeling of horror or i guess it's terror as you feel like you're gonna die and then you come to a stop and you survived it together right so that movie experience where you it is a collective experience where you go to the movies and he he mentions this right you don't go to a horror movie by yourself (laughs) you go as a group or with a date but you don't do that with a book, right? You don't generally read a book with somebody. I mean, we do, but that's weird. <laughs> you don't read a book with somebody else. Uh, you read it and then you pass it on to the next person. You recommend it. But that, that idea of horror movies is sort of a, uh, it's a cheap place to go get cash. And, and how, um, you know, it seems to me a lot of Stephen King readers are women. Not just men, right? I, I yeah, I, that's I would my guess experience. More women. I don't know. I don't know if there's more, but there's certainly. An, it's not a small percentage, right? There might be equal, might be slightly more, slightly slightly less. But I don't think that that's true of Larry Niven, who he also mentions in this book, or Harlan Ellison. And and Harlan Ellison, as a you know, he's trying to shy away from those titles: the science fiction writer, fantasy writer, or horror writer and i agree that none of those fit him very well but some of those stories are clearly horror stories because he's going for horror mm-hmm. what makes it what, make, what makes it a horror like that uh, for example that movie um i was a teenage werewolf is really interesting because it is a horror movie it, it it's about a guy mm-hmm. who he's basically just too aggressive and violent He's getting to fights all the time. It's played by Michael Landon, you know, the guy from Touched by an Angel or whatever it was, uh, Little House on the Prairie guy. He's really young and he's always getting to fights. And the principal and the cops are saying, you got to stop fighting everybody. And we go to his house and his dad's mild mannered and his mom seems to be dead. He's got a bad attitude and he says, I can shake it off. And then he goes to a party with his girlfriend and he plays a trick on one of his friends and his Plant, a friend plays a trick on him back in, you know, sort of jesting. And then he, like, decks him and almost breaks his face, right? And then he realizes, oh, I've got a problem. So he agrees to go to the psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist is uh, literally a Frankensteinian doctor, mad scientist, <laughs> who wants to do an experiment on the perfect candidate, finally. <laughs> and he regresses him back to when he was a werewolf, when humans were werewolves or something. And he, and he just basically goes on a killing spree, doesn't want to have that happen to him, and then he dies. <laughs> That's the whole movie, right? 
So the when so it's if, kind of like the the puberty experience, like the <laughs> hair, the aggression, all this, right? Yeah, there's a sequel. I think that's kind of where King goes with it. There's a sequel. Well, definitely with that. I am a teenage Frankenstein. That's like, the one. He tries to say it's all about zits, right? It's all about the <laughs> and I thought that that, that that that's really it's insightful because it it's the horror of the public embarrassment. It's not a moral horror, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, although you know there might be morals involved, it's not a moral horror, and it's not. Uh, you know, seeing the guts exactly, but it is kind of, uh, oh my God, I'm going to die from the embarrassment of having these zits. But uh, I didn't ever saw this, this movie, but I did look up, just Googled it and looked at the pictures. Mm-hmm. And like, what, there's a common still from this movie. It's the doctor with the mirror showing mm-hmm. this guy is, this guy's face. And mm-hmm. it is just a, it's like it seems the whole plot is based on him being really ugly. And, and yes, having this facial catastrophe. <laughs> it must be wonderful. <laughs> I, I'm, I was enjoying it. What I've seen of it so far, um, uh, but uh, very simple, right? Very simple. But there is this. The you know, you find out that you were, um, you know, born of uh, not man and woman, but of of crashed teenagers. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're like he's telling his at the beginning of the movie he's telling his um his assistant <laughs> he says you're going to be my assistant he's like I'm not sure I want to do it. no you're going to be and okay and he says okay he's so dominated by this mm-hmm. mad scientist and then as they're he's talking about how he's going to create a new race of superhumans to save the earth <laughs> because we're all so bad um, <laughs> he says, and I'll do it from young people instead of old dead people. It'll be young dead people and that'll make everything better. And then there's a, we hear a terrific car accident outside and they go outside and see two teenager car, two cars full of teenagers smashed into each other and everybody's dead. And they go around in the woods and collect body parts. <laughs> <laughs> and so you've got this idea of, you know, you're, it is literally the story of, he's, he's Dr. Frankenstein, right? So, it, mm-hmm. and he says, my, uh, <laughs> my great, uh, it doesn't he's say medical. Yes, of, I am a descendant yeah. of, and where he went wrong is, he used old people. I'll do a teenager. I'll <laughs> yeah. teenagers. Um, and that idea of the teenagers are not juvenile delinquents necessarily, like in the first movie, uh, Teenage Werewolf, but they are, uh, the saviors, because we're the ones who put the world in this situation, um, is, is really interesting because I feel like, uh, King did sign up for the society he was in. He was never a rebel for it, even though he had sort oh, of cause, not, yeah. right? To be a little bit rebellious. He did get into university. He, things went okay for him, even though his mom was, you know, single parent and, uh, they had, you know, no running water and the stuff about his, his uncle with no teeth. Like I'm, I'm like, God, or no, it was an uncle or no, his grandparent, wasn't it? His yeah. mom, his grandmother was bedridden and, and demented. And the grandfather who he listened to the radio dramas with was perfectly sane, but incomprehensible because he had no yeah. teeth. And like, uh, to me, this is like, uh, this is like, you know, 
they say things are bad in Russia. Well, yeah, but they had a dental program, you know, like, (laughs) 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 and they are able to make this technological advancement where they can put satellites, which are useful in space. Mm. Um, But no, they're the bad guys. And it's like, he never sort of develops past that. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, as much as like, he never has class resentment. He does working class people really well. Yes. I think in his, in his books and he's able to write them. But there's never that much class resentment in anything. Like you have a character who's like there's that one uh, kind of rat. He talks about it in this book too. The the rats in the cellar. Uh, it's actually have you what's it called? Midnight or graveyard shift? Oh yeah. Have you read this story? No, no, I haven't. So it's basically a, a working class uh, guy, like a college student, is working in a factory or something, and there's like two weeks off for holiday or something and they're like okay you got overtime if you come in we're gonna clean the basement of the factory which hasn't been cleaned in like 50 years but it'll be good overtime so the guy does it because he needs money this is obviously taken from his own life right yeah and that down in the cellar there's all these rats and they get progressively bigger the deeper down they go in the cellar and they have like killing the 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 boss and there's like you know he's so close to making it like a class resentment argument and there Mm. is elements of you know this boss sucks and he's an asshole and and all that but never systemic it's always very personal Mm -hmm. it's just thinking about road work and how that that also fails on the uh, he he has the existential crisis but he doesn't connect it to the american dream uh in a way that that yeah i've been sold a bill of goods and we need to uh, fundamentally restructure reality. <laughs> yeah. He just, let's blow it all up. <laughs> well, he even admits in this book, and I think this is another really interesting idea he has, uh, it's the conservatism of horror. It's like, it's kind of like the conservatism of even something like uh, Alice in Wonderland. Mm. Right? This, this idea that if, if we go too far into this modernist direction, I suppose, where things stop making sense, right? That's going to be really bad. It's going to not, it's going to be horrific. There's, there's a horror element to Alice in Wonderland, right? Mm. And it's, it's because things, the rules don't apply anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what he means when he says there's conservatism in horror. It's, it's because it's, if things go go wrong, right? If the world breaks down, if a plague destroys 99% of the people, it, or even if there just happens to be a ghost in your house, this is the horrible things that will come. So we don't want to wish for that. Mm-hmm. And that's what he means by this conservatism of horror, I think. And I think Lovecraft definitely has that. Hmm. Yeah, no. Lovecraft's well, I mean, definitely thinking in that line. Like, yeah, he had that. His, we his, don't want science to go far. We don't want to pick at that scab because eventually we'll. Yeah, his his uh, fanzine was the uh, the conservative. That was it. That was yeah, called, right. He and he had reason to be conservative. I uh, gotta you gotta keep preserve what you got, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the one of those Bobby Deary uh, hundred hundred Lovecraft facts tweets was uh, Lovecraft bragging about one of his ancestors ha- having one hundred thirty three slaves in his um, in his will to gift mm-hmm. to family members. It's like, oh yeah. Well, if you have 133 slaves, you don't just, you know, manumit them. You dole them out to all the family members, so everybody gets a piece. Mm-hmm. And that is not something you want. And that's not a system you want to blow up. That's a system you want to um, continue in a certain sense. 
There, uh, I was thinking, but about- the, the people still have that same idea. Like people will say, "Do you want to address climate change?" They'll all raise their hand. Sure. Most people will say, "Yeah, we want to do that." So, so you know, so you're not going to drive a car anymore, and then they back off for that. Or, you know, as we transition to green energy, maybe there'll be more brownouts or things like that. And it's like, oh no, no, we can't have that. Well, uh, it affects them personally. You know, the thing that that's the bad way to sell it, anyways, because it's honestly, I I I drive a an automobile and it puts out carbon dioxide. I also drive a body and it puts out carbon dioxide. Right. Um, The thing is, is you can sell it by saying, you know, which would you prefer? Um, things as they are or things better. And are there better systems? Well, my mom has an electric car. Uh, she doesn't have to worry about, uh, the gas prices like I do. I have to worry about gas prices a lot more than she does. And, uh, electric cars in a lot of senses are more efficient, uh, with that money, you know, putting in. But more importantly, we have like a groups of people who are, pouring co2 into the environment and they're not you right so we don't yeah, have to true. we don't have to sell it as what sacrifices are you going to personally make well maybe sacrifice is the wrong but the world will change i think if you read a uh, ministry for the future by Jim yeah, stanley like robinson that. that's a pretty good book saying maybe things are going to change like jet airplanes probably going to have to go and but maybe we'll bring back dirigibles yeah that's, that's fine you know like and that's going to change the way you live your life in ways that may not be comfortable to you now but there might be other benefits because you can write your the great american novel while you're but again i haven't been on an airplane since 2008 right so it's not like i'm Mm -hmm. the one who's who's flying back and forth in my fleet of uh private jets you're talking about me right well uh, not private those are not private jets and and why you why are you doing it you're doing it because you live in a capitalist system that forces you to go where the work is yes yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> we fix it up a little bit and maybe not wreck everything so much. Um, and we, ta- we figure out where the mistake, like one of the most ridiculous ones, sort of these s- sort of psychopathies that we get in our heads is recycling, right? <laughs> you personally need to be responsible for all the plastic that goes into the landfill, uh, the landfill. Uh, me personally, I don't manufacture any plastic items. I don't know how I <laughs> shifted this responsibility to me. Well, Jesse, you just need to buy things that are in glass jars and metal cans instead of plastic bottles. <laughs> okay, I do that, and then what happens? The company changes it, right? And now I, <laughs> I have to buy it whatever's there. Well, it's, you just need to go out in the countryside and tend your own garden. No, <laughs> there are <laughs> systems that we can do to apply pressure to change things, and more importantly, you know, th- th- those plastic uh, measures that are being pushed and pushed and pushed are a part of the, they're a part of an ecosystem that's, we can fix. It's, it, we just need a lot of guillotines is what we need. <laughs> and they're pretty much carbon neutral, well, this all, okay? <laughs> yeah, this conversation was was had with the, the great straw debate, of a, was a couple years ago? I don't remember. Where... I think it was when Starbucks started like getting rid of their plastic straws. Oh yeah. And then people were like, "Oh, but disabled people, old people sometimes need the plastic." Right. You know, twisty straws or the 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 metal ones. Everyone, so everyone's supposed to carry on metal straws now. That's Why right. is the burden on the consumer to do that? Can't the straw makers just make a 
flexi straw that's convenient and easy to use that is biodegradable. Uh, like straws no, are the big problem on the planet. Research. Which is the most important problem? Straws? No, but that's the debate we're having, right? Because it's an yeah. easy, uh, you know, we feel like we're making a difference. I, I don't care about any of that. And it's uh, something uh, you can push on to the, the, the consumer, right? Yes. Yes. And they'll, and they'll accept it because it's not that big a sacrifice to have a paper yeah. straw or whatever. Um, let's, uh, I, I want to go back and talk about a book specifically we've done on this podcast that was a horror. One, mm-hmm. and that's uh, one you were on, uh, called, um, The Troop by Nick Cutter. Yeah. Remember that book? So that yeah, is. Yeah, I kind of liked it. It's, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, only reason that book exists, I think, is to fulfill a kind of niche for that horror experience that you get at a movie. It's kind of yeah. like that, right? It's, Maybe, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a gross out in a certain sense, right? It's yeah, a I think terror. It's a gross out. Um, and not much, not so much horror. It's a horror book because that's the genre we call it, right? Rather than it's a, a body terror. horror, right? Yes, it's body horror and yeah. contamination, which I think is important, but it's very, very different from Invasion of the Body Snatchers, even though, uh, both are, you know, Invading your body in a certain sense, right? I liked his characterization of um, of how the uh, Jack Finney's and that story, the third level, by the way, is one we've done, we've covered, which he talks a lot about um, as sort of being a Twilight Zone style, Ray Bradbury style story. It's one we've covered on Reading Short and Deep, and it is very short and it's very nostalgic. It's very much Bradbury and Finney are very similar. And I guess Stephen King is kind of like them as well, but more, more horror. <laughs> mm. um, but what's interesting is, uh, if you've got a book like this where it's, it's almost begging to be filmed, right? That's yeah. basically what it was written for, I think it is, you know, I could make a lot of money if I, <laughs> if I, or, you know, I can tell a good story that I'd like to see on film. It's like a movie in your head, right? Um, and that's fine. It's fine. But, um, is it in service of what I kind of think he was hinting at early on in the book of getting you to accept your crappy role in your life? So I think that that's, he hints at this in a lot of fantasy. I just started watching the two, I watched two episodes of that new, uh, Amazon Wheel of Time, uh, fantasy series that they're going to try and make into like a, you know, uh, HBO style Game of Thrones show. Mm. And I, I never read those books as a kid. Uh, they started in 1990. Yeah, I never Uh, read them either. Um, but it's 14 books long and the last one, uh, is 909 pages, right? So <laughs> they get longer as they go, I guess. But, um, I believe that those exist to allow you to escape from the mundanity of your job. And mm. I don't think that horror's job is exactly that. Uh, but I do think that there is something to what he was say- sort of hinting at. You don't go to a movie, a horror movie by yourself, right? Not just because you're afraid, <laughs> yeah. but because you can have that shared survival experience. 
Yeah. And so uh, there, there's something to this idea of uh, horror being different. So um, when I yeah, so it's like I think something like Wheel of Time mm-hmm. or Lord of the Rings or something. Mm-hmm. It's 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 got supernatural elements. I assume Wheel of Time has supernatural elements. Yeah, it's, it's fantasy, full of fa- but it's full like of magic. other. It's another world, right? Yes, yes. and that whole world Secondary is within world. the rules of that world. So mm-hmm. magic makes sense when Gandalf does some magic trick. It might be, you know, amazing, but it's not, it's not breaking your sense of reality. Right. In a way. But when you have like low fantasy stuff where it's like fantasy set in our world, I think there's something horrific about that. Even if it's not like got the gross out or the terror. Sure. I think there's a, oh, the horror. It, it, I think there's something in the, at the level of terror with the supernatural just intruding on our life, even if it's not a physical threat to us. It's not a vampire necessarily, mm-hmm. but it's disrupting. Yeah, of course, I've never had that experience outside of something maybe I've imagined. So, what what experience have you know. never had? What I'm trying to, I, I haven't had. Well, I haven't had a supernatural experience. No, supernatural. Well, doesn't it doesn't exist. exist but <laughs> yeah, but if I think if something supernatural happened to me, and even if it wasn't like a, a threat to me, or as we understand, it's scary, it would be pretty horrifying i thought that that that, that was like, one... the, like the ball claw going up on the wall by itself is that yeah i don't know if that example is in here or it's on on it's writing, in here I think it's, it's in here thing. the yeah. one the one i was thinking of when you were talking there was the one he talks about being in james herbert's the fog where the woman who yeah. decides to kill herself goes out in the water and finds that water's too cold and maybe she'll find a way to survive for a few more days and start swimming back and then she sees oh. the whole town going into the water um, oh yeah, and, and so that uh, that is as close to a supernatural experience as one could imagine, and not expl- not having the explanation um, makes you know from her point of view yeah. it is a supernatural experience. Um, I guess there is a rational explanation within the the, the yeah. idea of the story, but that kind of um, uh, that that would certainly be terrifying. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I do like the idea. I think that he he's good at in here of talking about how when when you see the world as as it uh, truly truly is or not mediated or, or by your fantasies. Um, uh, this is what he's always talking about. Lovecraft's opening the window, and it, there are stories right where that literally yeah. happens. Um. And or I guess the geometry doesn't work, um, and that is going insane. That is what makes you insane: is that the rules of the world don't work anymore. Yeah, I, I, I think about like how in dreams the rules of the world don't work, but we somehow find our way through. Right? Yeah, we must. We justify them somehow. We it, it's always it always ex- makes sense. Yes, it's always right? made explained, and that makes me think. Like, right back to <laughs> him being a shit lib. Like, if, if, if you have these defense, it's so funny is he's, he's, he says this stuff. Like, it wasn't a question. <laughs> yeah. And he knows that he's, he's bullshitting because he doesn't want to accept their premise. And the thing is, is you don't want to sometimes accept somebody's premise because you can't see what's wrong with it. But to straw man it, he knows that that was wrong. But he doesn't say, you know, I was wrong to do that. He just says, oh, you know, technically it wasn't a question. Um, because he don't like it. 
but he br- why did he bring it up at all? Because I think he knows on some level he's wrong, <laughs> right? But he can't explain why it is. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's the wrong messaging or something. <laughs> it's almost yeah. like we need to um and he talk what's so funny is he talks about this, right? We need to indoctrinate the kids. We need to lie to the kids about Santa Claus and the tooth fairy and all that stuff. And why is he bringing that in there? Because I think it's part of his thesis and he's working it out and so I mean, it is true that he's writing lies most of the time, right? Well, that, that's it's it's a, it's a weird that he put it that way because he also seems to believe children create their own kind of magic. At mm-hmm. least that's the thesis of it mm-hmm. to a certain degree. Like, um, there's a scene in that book where, like the the sneezing powder that they buy from the gag shop works against the monster, huh. right? Which is just a gag toy, like the fake doo doo kind yep. of thing. Yep. But the sneezing powder works against them because they believe it. That's not given to them by the parents. It's not something – maybe mm. the capitalists teach them this or something <laughs> through the advertising you know, or through the commercials on TV. Mm-hmm. But there's this idea in that book that and – I, and I think King believes this is true – that children have a certain capacity to create magic on their own, which is something that makes them different than adults. Mm-hmm. So maybe he's just – Pulling on something, an experience all, like everyone has of believing in Santa Claus. Uh, but he talks about how yeah. how how society and and parents deliberately lie to the kids about that, right? Yeah, and that I mean that it's interesting because this is a book of nonfiction, so technically not supposed to be lies, right? And he even says, you know, my normal job is to lie all the time. Um, uh, and you know, <laughs> it, but the thing is, is those are based on realities too, right? His own experiences, and so when he wants to make it take it off in a supernatural direction, and he works on it, it, it works out. But ultimately, the reader knows it's a lie. But here, this whole book is is supposed to be nonfiction, hence not a lie. And I don't feel like he's lying to me. I don't think he's saying something to make himself look good at all. I think this is just yeah. Plain. I don't know, like I. I, when I read the Sputnik story, mm-hmm. you know, I, I wonder if that was constructed. I, I think there are moments where I'm like, oh, that really happened to him, right? You know, when you have the conversation with someone or, or whatever. But other times, like, I guess, like, I thought it twice. I thought with the Sputnik and the Black Panther meeting. Mm. Both times, I, I wondered if he was constructing that story. Well, I believe that those are stories that he would have told himself over and over again. Right. Yeah. So that you know, talk to me about what happened to like that story I told you about the the going hiking. Right. I've told that story many many times because it's a very interesting. It was a very interesting experience, as close as I've come to witnessing the supernatural or or uh, ghosts. Right. Mm -hmm. And and we literally did go home. Now, (laughs) was it caused by their? Being a rock there, I, that's my explanation that I've been telling for a long time. But the more I tell the story, the more time goes by. I've, I did this once in the podcast. I talked about how one of the actresses on the show that I, we had watched for part of the homework, I had punched her in the face in elementary school. It turned out it was the wrong person. They had similar names and they were both in my school, but different schools. And I had conflated the two people. Um, I only, you know, 
So I, I, I think that he probably was in a movie theater and Sputnik did definitely uh, get announced. I don't know if it happened in the movie theater and he's conflating. Uh, so I, I don't, uh, I don't know anything about that, but, um, the part where he, he's in university, that totally sounds like him on Twitter. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like it, it, it's straw manning in order to denounce. Uh, oh, it's, it's so weird that you got, uh, he, he's basically saying you need to, not, you need to have a fantasy in order to not go insane. <laughs> he's basically saying I'm kind of lying to myself. And, and and this is not a theory of horror. This is a theory of reality that he's giving out, right? You need to kind of have a fantasy to not go insane because he's buying that argument from the – he's constructing that argument from the opening of, of The Haunting of Hill House. There was a Star Trek episode about that. Did Which you see one? that one? Which the one? Next Generation where they, they're not dreaming. Like they're in some kind of nebula or something uh-huh. and no one's capable of dreaming – like they sleep, but they don't oh, go into yeah, REM yeah. sleep. Right. And so they're not dreaming. And That's then the one with Counselor go Troy going, uh, yeah, she. Yeah, something with Troy. Yeah. She, I don't know how they she, do with data in that one. Uh, if, yeah. He was running, he was running things. I think it was called the void yeah. or something like that. Were they mm. traveling through a void or something? Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. If, I think he's saying not a fantasy in your dreams, a fantasy in real life, right? You have to have some yeah, sort of. But I guess it's the same idea. Ideological some structure. Level. So he talks about uh, there was a, a, some funny stuff about his wife's reaction to uh, Rosemary's baby. Was mm-hmm. saying that's what you get for mixed marriages, <laughs> <laughs> and she's a Catholic, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's that is pretty funny. I think Ira Eleven seems to be pretty witty witty guy mm-hmm. based on what i've read and that uh stepford wives uh, that uh, that sounds like a good book to read too yeah i think i gotta read it i'm, I'm all these look pretty good sliver i've, I've seen the the movie what didn't was, know it was sliver yeah oh that's by yeah. no isn't that um that, that's ira levin too. is it okay yeah i didn't know that the sharon stone movie i only yeah. know from that um interesting so yeah that could be another satire that's not considered a satire, right? Mm-hmm. Interesting. I, I, I guess I've, so, Kiss for Before Dying, Rosemary's Baby, This Perfect Day. Oh, it won the Prometheus Award. Now I have to hate it. <laughs> the well, because it won an award or because it won this particular award? <laughs> it won the Libertarian Award. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Stepford Wise. Oh, this is Libertarian Science Fiction. <laughs> Prom- Prometheus Award is a uh, Libertarian Science Fiction Novel Award. Um, well, I learned something. <laughs> <laughs> Stepford Wives. The Boys from Brazil, which I've seen the movie from, have not read the book, Sliver and Son of Rosemary. Oh, that was a sequel. And so that's his entire novel output. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And he wrote a bunch of plays. Hmm. Yeah, the Prometheus Award winners. Uh, Robert A. Heinlein. Of course. Friday. Of course. Well, that was yeah, just for yeah. Heinlein. I don't think... I, I, Friday's good, but I don't think it's this top libertarian book. Samuel Delaney. Yeah, I think he's... He's got some libertarian blood in him. Does he? I haven't, I haven't read much of Well, like if you read the Red, uh, Times Square Red, Times Square Blue, mm. I think it's called. 
he's also like he's upset that they're like gentrifying Times Square. Mm. He's like it's better as like a gay paradise. Like even <laughs> though Paul Wilson like, wins all the time, man. Look at that. Mm-hmm. I think he follows me on Twitter. To sail beyond the sunset. Oh wow. Eighty nine. Oh, I see. These uh, these are the candidates. I'm looking at the candidates. Oh, there, yeah, I'm I, yeah, I'm looking at the whole the finalists. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, Paul Anderson. Yeah, he's kind of Margaret Atwood ends up on this list. Oh wow. As a candidate, can you be a shit lib and a libertarian? <laughs> I. I uh, I'm fun. <laughs> I'm throwing this. this no, I, I think line around. There is something. Yeah, I think I think there might be some overlap. <laughs> in the, in the fear of fear of like some kind of radical institutional change. Yeah, yeah. The libertarians, like they might have more in common. The shit libs and the libertarians might have more in common than I don't know, like communists and shit libs. I, I don't know. In this, like. If you start talking to the libs about, like, maybe we need to, like, rework the Constitution, they, they might freak out about oh, that. Oh, yeah, right. right. Let, let's do that, that today. Like, <laughs> like, you ever see those West, West Wing episodes where they're, like, talking about how uh, the free trade regime is wonderful? Oh, God. Or, like... He, know, they got a Cory Doctorow have on here. Because that's going to... Pirate cinema, Cory Doctorow. See, they're, they're wrong about a lot of stuff, the libertarians. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what is really interesting is these are almost all, uh, obviously, um, mostly mm-hmm. Americans, but they're still mostly Americans. There are Brits on here and obviously Atwood and stuff. But yeah. it's, it's, a, it's an American export, libertarianism. It is not a... Um, yeah. I don't think it's a Michael Crichton. There's a state of fear. I don't think I read that well, one. That's that's the one the, the climate change denial. Book oh, really? Interesting. It's, I wonder what that. I never read it. I mean, I'm not going to waste my time reading Michael Crichton. Eco terrorists uh, plot to mass murder uh, uh, to publicize the danger of global warming. Wow. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's funny because in uh, the Robinson book. Ministry for the future. Mm-hmm. There are ter- eco terrorists who use drones that can't be traced, you know, because we're pretty much at that technology now. Yeah, you know, pretty close to it, where they're knocking down private jets, and uh, eventually the rich just stop flying because they're like, "We're gonna die." Sounds good. Sounds and it like worked. It, like it worked. And I think Robinson in the interviews was always like, "You know, I want I'm putting the terrorists in because I think it would really happen if there was a true climate crisis you know, coming. People would." respond with terrorism because that's happens for other reasons um yeah i it's more likely than for, right then then what i'm saying, saying like, i'm not for violence that's what he kept saying if if, if i started shows it as effective if i started in buying trucks and and building guillotines in the public <laughs> putting guillotines in the public's parks and buying trucks and driving off to the <laughs> the uh, suburbs where the the uber rich live with compounds or whatever i would be stopped pretty quick but it's harder to stop stop uh underground people you know if you start doing it publicly um they'll find ways to get you but <laughs> yeah so eco terrorists yeah i guess whatever call them terror but see one man's terrorist is another man's blah 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 right freedom fighter yeah um so that's why it's it's probably not fair to call uh him a shit lib because there's probably a term he would prefer <laughs> 
<laughs> what is the non, um, the non, uh, pejorative for shit lib? Just liberta- uh, li- liberal? Yeah, liberal. Yeah. Sad story. Well, uh, we did pretty good on yeah, this I book. Are we go. done? My, my daughter's here, so. All right. Better not ignore too much longer. I will just better remind start. you of what's coming up. Um, and then, uh, I wanted to ask you and query you about a couple of things as well. Um, oh yeah. So Ganymede Takeover's coming out Monday and da- Dancing Aztecs. There's nothing there for a while. Okay. Um, we are doing, um, people of the black circle. You up for that next Sunday? At the same time. Next same time. Yeah. I'll, I'll do it. All right. Yeah. All right. Good. Um, I'm going to take the question. And definitely Klim's journey. I'm in that. Yep. Uh, Midwich Cuckoos has been added. You're on for that. Pre-person. So this time is... That's with, added. That's a yes. new Yes. Did you want to... Uh, that's a short story. It's, yeah, that'll be fun to talk about. Good. Um, especially with the... the um, <laughs> yeah, that Harlan Ellison story that we didn't uh, talk about in here. That was it called? The Croaton or whatever? Um, Croaton, yeah. About the I, 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 aborted I read fetuses. That. that sounds good. If you were to, if you were to add it, I, I probably. I'll have to I have to dig around to find that. But um, remind me I when we're doing the pre-person. No, it's not. It won't be Harlan Ellison. Very uh, of his thousand stories, he did most of them. Copyright yeah. renewed. Um, and then uh, so there was a a few that I believe I tweeted you about, and there's one on my phone. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to look at the tweets, uh, not that <laughs> the Jellico tweet note. Um, so what was the, what was this person saying? Not happy the selection of horror books at Barnes and Noble. They're all Stephen King. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Somebody's upset that they're all Stephen Kings. <laughs> with with and I think it's the new Stephen King covers are so horrific, so horrible, except for the. The later yeah, and the Joyland. Good. Well, yeah. The, the hard case crimes. Yeah, hard Those case covers crimes are good. Are the rest good. are horrible. Yes, that's true. Um, okay. Like, look, the Sun Dog. That's this is publishers like being real jack offs in a way because that used to be part of Four Past Midnight, right? And oh, it was okay. four books, four novels, and you got it in one thick book. You paid your. Ten bucks, and you got one big one book, and you got four novels: Sundog, Glangoliers, a couple of library policemen, and it's the same with the Bachman books. They're all coming out now as independent books. Or if you see here, nineteen twenty-two, that's a novella that used to be in a collection. The Body. Well, that, that's okay. They're, re, they're just republications, right? I, I get but that's why the bookshelf is full to Stephen King. Is like they yeah, keep, they they're there's. There's more. There's more than just Stephen King. I get it, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm not upset that it's only Stephen King. I'm upset that the covers are shitty. That's what I'm upset with that too. But I don't know why Chomper doesn't like Stephen King. I don't don't know who Chomper is. Chomper Uh, isn't happy with the selection of (laughs) horror books. Yeah, I know. But who is Chomper? Um, Um, He's wrong. Whoever Chomper is. Uh, There should be more, but that's uh, the fact that it's Stephen King. It's it's not bad. So uh, there's a um, uh, was it on my camera? Downloads probably downloads. There's a book. Uh, Warren Ellis something. Oh yeah yeah yeah. It. What's it called? Space Prison. Something yeah, like that. Space Prison. Now um, it's on LibriVox, and I think it was six hours. Let's see. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Tom Godwin's the guy who wrote the cold equations. Um, with yeah, the I help know. of yeah. what's his name? Um, let's see. Five fifty-eight thirty-eight. Okay. Yeah. So six hours. That's good. Um, and we did a prison book before, uh, science fiction prison book, right? It has another title. Survivors was, I think, the original. Um, so I'm, I'm interested in that. And then, um, uh, for the new year, um, I'm trying to arrange a show on the doom that came to Sarnath. I proposed, uh, a date in January. I wanted to confirm with you that that was okay. Uh, probably. Uh, it was okay. Doom that came to Sarnath. Yeah. Um, that's a love. Card. And, uh, Thompson's going to be on that one. Too? Yeah. I'm going to, uh, I'm trying to arrange for him, uh, cause he's got the comic book version. Uh, so I'm thinking, I think I said Connor, um, he said from the 22nd onwards, I think I said the 25th. Is that the, is that a weekend in January? Uh, January. I mean, that'll, that'll probably be Chinese New Year's, so. Oh. Shit, I think I picked the wrong... Oh, so... It's Tuesday. Yeah, it's a Tuesday. January the, tw- uh, January the 23rd? In 2022? Yeah, that would be Sunday. Okay. January 23rd. Oh, with Sunday, we'd probably do it a Saturday, right? Well, I can do both. This is a better time for me. Yeah, but... yeah. And it's better for him, too. Because you're basically in the same time zone now. How how many hours off of China are you? Same. Same. same oh, interesting. Well, that that makes the case for them being annexed, for you being annexed, right? Well, the, the already the in the same time one, zone. <laughs> yeah, so is Mongolia or something. The weirdest <laughs> one I heard was uh, like there was a tweet about this where someone said like, oh, fifteen thousand years ago, Taiwan used to be part of mainland China. And it's like. Because it was like talking about geology, right? Tectonic plates and all that. Yeah, well, that's stupid. And (laughs) it wasn't part of China. There wasn't a Taiwan or China. It was just like (laughs) land, right? There was like cavemen. (laughs) Well, (laughs) they make make an argument for like who owns the North Pole, like, you know, Russia or Canada or the United States because they got a piece of Alaska, right? And it's like they are talking, making geological arguments. But basically, it's going to be decided by... Uh, whatever politicians are willing to go to war over it. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> has nothing to, you know, those, those, uh, you know, are we willing to go to war over it or not? 5440 or fight is a big deal in Canada. And it's 5440 is like a band in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> um, I play, I play a lot of PUBG with these, um, Americans who don't read. Mm-hmm. And they don't yeah. know anything. <laughs> and so I find it really interesting to understand how they're understanding reality because they don't, they don't pay attention to the news like much at all. They just mostly play games, you know, and they have, mm. and they have day jobs and they're talking about their lives. So one, one guy votes, he's, he says, Trump's my guy. <laughs> and the other guy is like, I work for, uh, he's a really nice guy, but he, he works for, um, like a phone company and he lives in Mexico, but he doesn't want people to know he lives in Mexico because they'll think he's Mexican. <laughs> and then another guy, he's, uh, he's like, these are all like, oh, except for the Trump guy are all ex military. You know, they used to do that because they were poors. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, 
and this guy he's 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 doing really great now because his skills are somehow in demand and he works for i think johnson and johnson um and he has really shitty hours like you know night shifts and stuff and he does like control systems basically robots and stuff like that um and he's really into uh 3d printing and you know they're both into dungeons and dragons right these these guys and uh and they so they they don't have a handle on like what's going on in the news very much except you know whatever they sort of heard just kind of like me right but they also mm. don't read like history and all that stuff they're not really into <laughs> books or tv shows or movies or whatever so um but they're really into games and so there's like this whole other world and there's a, like a lady i play with who's in like northern saskatchewan and she's got uh, you know, all sorts of health problems and her husband's got health problems. And, uh, the difference in lifestyles between the Canadians and the Americans, the Americans are like, like a little more paranoid about their health <laughs> and their job and stuff like that. And the Canadians, like, I saw one today, uh, that, um, <laughs> that, um, Paul retweeted and it was, it was, uh, I hate to do this, but I need money. <laughs> and so Paul retweeted, it was for his cat. <laughs> his cat needs money for something. He needs to take the cat to the vet because that's, you know, there's no healthcare plan for the cat because he's in Nova Scotia and he gets healthcare, right? So it's like one, one is like Patreon for my life and healthcare and stuff for me. And the other one is like, uh, my cat needs money. <laughs> Everybody's suffering from uh, 21st century capitalism, but it doesn't hit everybody in the same way. They, when they get the mandates in the mail, or like I got a call yesterday uh, to confirm that I had vaccinations, and uh, I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I got, I got, I got them, or whatever." <laughs> and uh, it's like I'm working for my mom, so I need vaccinations. But if I didn't work for my mom and I'm at my mom's house, um, I don't need vaccinations. Whatever. <laughs> um, but it's, it's the way this, the gears of the system grind so that we've got all these, like these mandates coming down saying you have to do this and we're going to force people to do that. Even though like last year, all, everybody, including, uh, Fauci and Nancy Pelosi and, and, uh, <laughs> And Biden, we're all saying, no, you know, we can't mandate this. There's no, you have a right to privacy, blah, blah. They just forgot, they forgot they said that. It's, it's like, I don't a know whole if they forgot. They just, they just, they just think it's, they're going to get smashed in the midterms if COVID is well, not dealt with. So, yeah, but it's not going to be dealt with and they're going to get smashed in the midterms, but they, not because of COVID. I mean, COVID's not yeah, going to help. They're fucked either way. Yeah. So it's just if they like, start man, if they, they the mandates are gonna get them smashed if or COVID will. I uh, guess. But even like so, another lockdown would, would they can't do that politically, so yeah. they won't. Even if it might be makes sense, it'll save lives, right? Uh, that's, theoretically, that's I, theoretically, that's if, if you're overwhelmed, if you're what I I guess where I'm kind of at with the mask. Yeah, masks will save lives, but. I guess a lockdown would save more lives. So, when, why shouldn't you do that? I don't. Think or banning cars would save lives. 
<laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> uh, you see, when they raise gas prices in France, <laughs> countries, you know, that's a. Anyway, it is I, coming. I, I really get going yep, pretty soon. I'll talk to you later. I'm looking at your tweet, though. This mm-hmm. Fight Club and Breaking Bad being expressions of fascism. What's wrong with people? <laughs> what the fuck is that guy the, on? The thread, like, people pounce on him in the thread, which is good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but he's, like, it's so Theodore Dreiser's in American tragedy fascism. What's so funny is, like, it, I, I can see why he would think that, but it's like, don't you see the bigger picture? Is like the reason that resonates at all the reason it works as an idea is because of the storytelling and more importantly uh this is a reality you don't have health care and it's it's a story of a guy who's gonna try and you know not be a pussy <laughs> here retrospectively i can see that game of thrones is an expression of homegrown form of of cultural feudalism that's Beginning to shape and color American life. Oh my god! Right. That's uh, why. That's why Lord of the Rings and all this stuff was popular. It's because of. We're, we're deep down, we all want to have kings. Monarchism. But we're gonna have a king in Canada soon, I think. Right, because the queen. Yeah, dying. the queen's finally gonna. She kick missed it. her November eleventh appointment. The tweets about the que- the queen are hilarious, though. The, the like, she's entering a new phase. I, I forget how they worded it in the newspaper somewhere. What? But. There was a news. There's newspaper. There's a newspaper article that said like the queen is going. She won't see her till for a few months because she's going and entering a new phase. And it was like cut. It was like new phase of her monarchy or something wow. right, of her rule. But they cut it off for like space. And this is like she's going to enter in a new phase. She'll be back in February. It sounds like she's going to enter a, a cocoon or something. Wow. <laughs> Come out as a spider woman. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> That's how it was interpreted on Twitter. <laughs> I wouldn't the, be surprised if we uh, find some way to keep her alive. I, I find it's, Twitter I, I very entertaining. There was, uh, I think, there are people who want her to out survive to survive her son because oh, yeah. they want to. I think she to wants to. <laughs> Obviously, she doesn't want him to be in charge because she's not. I just, wa- I'm, I'm just, I hope he doesn't change the name. I want Charles III because the, the Charles are kind of fun kings. The previous Charleses were kind of fun and they fuck shit up. Hmm. Charles the second less so. I you mean, think that 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 all Charles the first definitely did. What'll Camilla be? She'd be just a consort, I guess. Yeah, she'd have to be some kind of consort. Um, I, I was fantasizing with my friend the plan to make Eugenie queen. It wouldn't take too many steps. Who is that? Would, well, first you'd have to get uh, hair like Harry and his wife and his kid out of the line of secession, which wouldn't be too hard because of all the latent racism, you know, oh. in British society. Get them out. And then you gotta wait out Charles to die, which won't be too long. You gotta so William and the Brats is like the what the real problem. But if you get rid of them, then it's just waiting for a few old people to die and killing your sister. She she has she has a she has a, a, a path. Path to the throne. Who who has a path? Eugenie. Who's that? One of she's like eleventh in line or something. Okay. But I, I don't know who she's, that is. She's kind of like she seems the chillest to me. Oh well, because but also a- maybe the most likely to to try to actually go for it. Genie, I don't know who this person is. Whatever. 
Princess Beatrice and Eugenie's girls' night out together. Yeah. Yeah, Beatrice just had a kid, so Eugenie would have to kill the baby, too. Well. Get rid of the baby somehow. (laughs) Go Game of Thrones on it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The royal family would be so much more interesting if they did this kind of stuff. Maybe they do. I mean, what's the son who's all tied up with uh, um, the guy who killed himself in prison but didn't? Uh, Isn't the, that Philip? Yeah. Or no, that's that's these people's like father. I think it's Eugenie's father or something. Okay. Prince Andrew? Yeah. Is that him? Yeah, Andrew, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's out. He can't be king. He can't be so. king anymore cuz of cuz he's he's he some went kind of to fuck island. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's all that's why I think maybe we started thinking about this because of this revelation. So, who's behind this? <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's his daughter. <laughs> trying to make a play for the throne. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but once the queen's gone, it opens up all sorts of opportunities. Well, I, like Australia and Canada still having a queen is pretty stupid. But uh, as long as she doesn't visit and doesn't interfere, I think it's fine. But I don't. Mm-hmm. I think Charles will be a little more interventionist. Oh yeah, that's be... that's in the, that's the Charles, that's the the previous Charles. If he keeps the name Charles, it's 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 a sign that he's going well, to be going to be a more hands-on king. He's going to he's going to. But like just he, issuing he, he, new money with him, his face on it, I think it'll like because the queen's been around since everybody's been alive, right? So yeah, uh, but <laughs> getting a like I'm getting a quarter and it's got that guy's face on. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> what am I gonna do with this? <laughs> Trying to try, like, <laughs> it's not inflation exactly, but I certainly don't value it because <laughs> now I'm looking at it. Uh, the queen was transparent to me before. I always point out to my students; they're all from Korea. I say, "Look at that! That's the lady who owns this country." <laughs> and they're well, like, well, "Like, who is it? Edward? Edward the Seventh? His? I guess they reissued all the money with him, even though he, he was." Uh, Probably they, not yeah, briefly, right? yeah, briefly. Yeah, briefly. Uh, by the time they, mixed. Re- they replaced all the money, he died. Yeah, and there was a new guy. Yeah, you, you, you used to be able to find those once, once in a while in circulation, but not anymore. Here, what will Charles III's money look like? Uh, oh my god! Okay, they they already got like coins. Oh well, they're fake. There. Yeah, people imagining. Yeah. All right, I'll let you go. Can't wait. Thank you, sir. My favorite is when Scotland gets independent. Do they have to change the flag? Well, they uh, they'll have to they'll have to redo all the flags because the blue will have to be gone. Why? What's the, the blue, blue is Scotland. For? The blue stands for Scotland. Oh, like you mean blue, like on the on the Union Jack? The British flag, yeah. Oh, the British Columbia have to change its flag. <laughs> yeah, you all have to change it. <laughs> we used to be called New Caledonia before we called British Columbia, which is you know New Scotland. Yeah, you could keep. I guess you could keep it then. I guess. We'll see. All right. Talk to you later, sir. Thank you. Yeah. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash SFF audio.
Hello. <laughs> How are you doing? <laughs> Good. Why you're laughing already? Yeah. <laughs> I saw somebody tweet one of those stupid things, and I, I made fun of it, so I'm laughing. Uh, what was? Oh. What was? I uh, see if I can find the tweet. It was. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember what their tweet was, but it was. Uh, Gentle reminder, and then something, you know. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, it oh. was gentle reminder, uh, communism will win, or something like that. And then uh, I started writing tweets. I said, I don't know who needs to, oh, I, I did it. It should be hear this. It, I don't know, I don't know who needs to hear this, but a Barbican can, in fact, include a portcullis. <laughs> 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 and the next one is, Gentle reminder that crenellations aren't just decorations. <laughs> Moat and Bailey castles are the best castles. I hopefully won't die on this hill. <laughs> yeah, what's with dying on hills? Now everyone's dying on hills. <laughs> well, it's mostly just the one guy, but you know, obviously these phrases yeah, are like things that people use like as shorthands. What's the one yeah. Paul always uses? Um, uh... Uh, something or love. Pre-orders are love. Pre-orders are yeah, love. Pre-order. Right? So what? What was a? What's a castle fact that I could have as love? Um, parts of castles. <laughs> Just random. What's that? Where they dump the murder holes or love? <laughs> murder holes are love. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> parts of castles. Let's see here. Uh, moats are love. That's no good. It's not. It needs to be more uh, obtuse. They're antisocial. <laughs> yeah, but that doesn't Moment. fit. Okay. Uh, maculations. Hmm. Uh, ramparts are love. No. Pinnock. No. Parapets. I don't know. There's not much about castles that can be be love. <laughs> Stockades. No. It needs to be drawbridges. Maculations. Oh, I don't know. It has to be very Dungeons. specifically castle. So is it eight o'clock in the morning? Is that right? Yeah. Mm. Right, good. Sorry for the switch. My my daughter okay. is in my little studio this weekend. And is it all to your liking yet? The job? No, the uh, I just studio. don't like the work culture. Yeah, work culture sucks. Uh, yeah, it's worse than in China. People like when I was saying I'm going to get a job in China. They're like, oh, that's going to be so relaxing. Taiwan, some are like, oh, yeah, like how, you know, I've heard such horror stories about the culture, work culture there. And it's like, dude, you, you live in Taiwan. And <laughs> I mean, I've had a job before in Taiwan, like a, a regular job for two months at a newspaper where I was a copy editor. Mm. Where that like the head editor would like yell at us for like typos and stuff, even though it would go through like three copy edits. Oh. And you know, we were overworked. Work and sucks. All that shit. And he would like yell at us, and it's like, dude, I'm you're yelling at us because we're making you do like some work at the end of the day, <laughs> or you have to double check guess, and make yeah, sure he the has copies to, right. He has to find the errors. <laughs> well, yeah. So like, I could go back and fix the the because error the stuff in my the tweet, journalist not gave us it. was such shit too. Like the stuff the journalist gave us was was horrible. It was like chinglish. Oh no! Trash, you know. So we had to. So we couldn't get everything, and then, you know, forget it. Forget it. Oh, on a two, and then you're. So I, I, I just walked out one day, after two months. 
probably wise move. I just said I'm done. I'm and then done. I didn't get another regular job in Taiwan for for uh, five, eight years. Wow. Like <laughs> well, I was tutoring. I was doing the okay. adjunct teaching and all that. Tutoring's better. And then I went to China. And that it, it took getting used to, but it wasn't bad. What really pissed me off is like they're like you have to have this bank account at the certain oh, bank. Oh, for your um, new con- condo for the direct or? deposit. I don't uh, know how it is in Canada, but in the U.S., you give them your bank account and they direct deposit to it. Here, right. they're like, "Oh, we only work with certain banks, so you have to have a bank account at this bank." That's probably right. just that's the evil way. way of doing things. Just evil way, way of to... doing things, so they don't have to pay fifty half a cent right, right. to do the wire transfer to a different bank. And I'm sure that it helps them out uh, with making these terrible rules. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. They're, they're horrible. So I, I told the boss, I was like, I, I have first and second on Tuesday. I have first, second period, and then seven, eighth period. So I told the boss after second period, I'm going to go to the bank. I'll set up the bank account, and we'll be golden. It might take a few, you know, few hours, and then I have lunch in there. That's plenty of time. And then he says, "You got to apply for like leave to do that." What? And I said, "I wrote back, and I wrote this back on Slack. Slack's like yeah. horrible. Yeah. I don't know if you know about My it. My mom it's, uses it's, it's it. It's totally evil because it's like a way of keeping you always at work. Yeah. I don't turn it on at here, of course, but I wrote on Slack. I said. I don't think I should use my personal leave for this because it's what you guys want me to do. Yeah. <laughs> it's like work-related. And I haven't got a reply yet. You're getting an so agi- we'll, agitator. We'll see. See, I don't try. I'm like Larry David in Crypto Enthusiasm. I, I don't try <laughs> to cause shit. It's just like, it just ends up happening. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's because you're not conforming. You're supposed yeah, to just maybe. do what the boss says. Because it makes perfect sense to me. I'm doing a work-related thing. Yeah, no, it makes but sense. In their logic, it's personal, I guess. Uh, no, it's just more control and more justify. Like, there's, a, I think there's a lot of justifying existences going on. It's not worth oh, yeah. it. Uh, I don't know. Uh, they're not having the, the post-COVID workplace. Like rebellions, like the U.S. was having. Yeah, I wonder why that is. U.S. U.S. is a lot more space to run away to. I think is maybe part of it. Yeah, you can just like flee. But it's just amazing how much bullshit has fallen apart, like really quickly in the U.S. Like, why do we have to come into the office every day? Like, why do I even need this job? Like, this it's it's kind of awesome. I we'll see if it we see if if there's follow through on it. I hope it continues. Because, like the new the newspapers keep saying, like, oh, the you know the great resignation is going to end, and then like the labor reports for the next month are more people resigned, you know, more people mm. quit their. You know, uh, right now, <laughs> I tweeted uh, this morning what they have at the gas station. There's a, a gas rationing right now here because there mm. was a, um, a big landslide that took out our connection. Uh, road connection to Alberta and uh, maybe mm-hmm. the rail connection too and um, <clears throat> there's a, uh, there's uh, all sorts of my roommate just got back from the grocery store and he said the chicken aisle was complete you know the poultry aisle was uh, empty so there's shortages the gas prices are high and there's limits on them and 
there's political unrest, so it's it's possible we'll see some changes. It's not likely to. Uh, oh, and uh, that's the other thing is um, Alberta. Uh, my grandmother died on Wednesday, and mm-hmm. uh, Jewish funeral means you do it like three days after, right? So uh, she uh, she's getting buried, and and uh, the the uh, funeral is outdoors, and everybody's masked. Oh, uh. <laughs> outdoors in a cemetery, everybody's masked. Stupid. Um, well, they still haven't like they're down to level. They keep reducing mask requirements here, but still, like walking around outside, you need to wear a mask. But you're in a restaurant with people for an hour, you don't have to wear a mask. Yeah, it's it's not science based. Yeah, it's, I, I, it's, it's it's not. It's paranoia based. It's, it's yeah. It's government control in a way. I think and and f- government fear. Of what mm-hmm. some people will say, because there there is a set of people, who, like um, there are a set of. I, I saw Paul was uh, saying something about some government government saying children under five, or children five to eleven, are not being encouraged to get their uh, vaccinations based on, yeah, you know the mm-hmm. the. So th- there was another one in Seattle where. They're giving, I guess it was Washington State or something. They were giving like certificates to show you were brave if you're a kid who got a vaccination. Oh, As which yeah. means the kids who don't get them are cowards, right? <laughs> which is <laughs> which is hilarious because like you know if you look at the numbers, kids do not die of this disease unless they're yep. you know, immunocompromised or you know on life support. <laughs> they don't die from this disease. So um, what, what's the logic behind it? The logic is we have to keep throwing uh, hope where we threw hope before, doubling yeah. down and doubling down. And, and, and it's like log- illogical. And uh, I haven't looked into it, but Austria seems to be having a, a street riot rebellion just based on a few images I've seen um, for the unvaccinated being locked down. It's crazy. Alberta didn't do a lot of lockdown stuff before, and now their cases are high, so they're freaking oh, here, out. Here, I see it. Austria yeah. starts lockdown for unvaccinated. Yeah. Police to randomly check residences. How do you randomly check? So you need to have your papers. Get your papers out, bud. And Jeez. I was thinking today. Uh, well, Austria makes sense. Well, that's, where, that's where all the hardcore Nazis were anyways, right? I was thinking a lot about how, um, you know, seatbelt. This is, it's kind of similar. I remember when seatbelts laws were coming in, mandatory seatbelt requirements. I was thinking, yeah, it is kind of like, it's not like I'm going to fly through my front windshield into your car and kill you. That's, that's not the most likely scenario why I have to wear a seatbelt. It's because we collectively think it's a good idea to cause fewer deaths of you, (laughs) like of me. But the difference is seatbelts work pretty good. Right. Yeah, <laughs> they work pretty good. That's the difference, and um, uh, I can get a fine, but I'm not banned from shopping at grocery stores if I don't wear my seatbelt. I get a ticket, mm-hmm. right? I have to pay the ticket, but it doesn't yeah. prevent me from going to grocery stores, and it doesn't prevent me from getting jobs. And you say, "Well, there's a big difference between the two, right?" <laughs> because, um, uh, because if you're vaccinated, you you're not going to be spreading the disease. But that's just not true. There's no evidence that it prevents the spread of the disease. In fact, 
If you look <laughs> at the numbers, it looks like it doesn't prevent it at all. It may help you personally survive the uh, infection, but it does not prevent you be f- from well, spreading. Well, yeah, this is like where the politics enter into it. Like Biden was so – he just wanted this over, right? Yeah. Uh, he, so he could say the, – the only way to do that is say you get vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. You can get back to normal, right? But you're still spreading. You're still so you're still you still can spread it. So I think here they're afraid of some outbreak before the next election. Yeah, because um, for the people here really want to have zero COVID, they're terrified of it. I think they they're not ready to come to terms with some endemic existence of of COVID. And why is that? Why why are they not ready? I. I, I'm going to bet it's the same reason that it, people in the states the government and Canada told aren't. Them we can maybe the government made them convince the people that and the media went along be, with we it. We can beat this. Yeah. They just did it. They just copied and pasted, right? They absolutely just copied and pasted whatever the government said, and and not even like you know necessarily the uh, the deep state part of the government, just what politicians are saying. And then they copy and paste, and then there's a sort of ratchet effect where they like they got to make it like, you know, we got to lock this all down so everybody's on the, on the same page, so we're all in the same. But the problem is, is you know, you start seeing it, the false falseness come through. It's like the, we got to do it so we can stop COVID. It's not stopped. How many how many years are we going to be wearing masks? That's what I was asking when this started. <laughs> how many years? Yeah, I'm I'm getting concerned about that here if they're ever going to end mass mandates on the street i don't mind you know, like on the subway or the bus you know it's anywhere just where you're walking on the street tight with somebody in your face coughing away it's disgusting i get it but outside yeah but they're it's it seems pretty hypocritical that you have to wear a mask when you're outside but like hostess bars which is a code name for places with sex workers you can you oh. can those are those are allowed to reopen. I, I, okay, okay. <laughs> I guess I don't know if you have to wear a mask for those, but it's but yeah, you're you're walking down the street. You still need to be a mask, even though it's the middle of the night and you're on a beer run. Fifteen thousand, so it's like five hundred U.S. dollars is the fine. What? That's ridiculous. Yeah. So, anyways, I, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go that way. Um, so you want to talk about this book? Talk about this book and generally talk about what's horror. Yeah. I think we, we started having that conversation. Was it the last time we had, we talked? Maybe. What, what, what was that for? Let me look. Um, I just did the show notes. For... Oh, it was, it was, it was, uh, the strange high house in the, in the mist. Oh, uh, okay. And the question is, is it a horror? And, uh-huh. And I think I made the point. Hmm. That once you in once you intersect the supernatural into a mundane life, you're it's there's a horror element to it. So yeah, I, I wasn't. I, I'm looking at the topic. The topic is what is horror, um, which is a good topic. Um, problem is I don't feel like uh, I'm. It's fully exhausted by this one book. So uh, no. I, we could do it. Just uh, it basically, it's just about naming the book, right? And naming the episode. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah, but, um, we could go with what is horror, or we could go with the uh, the uh, 
We could talk about the Lovecraft the book. book, too. Yeah, supernatural horror and literature is what you're thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, this is this is King's attempt to try to do his... I, I feel like I, I want to spend more time talking about King's theories than I do yeah. other people's theories, so maybe we just should pretend we're okay. talking about the one book and then uh, sure. come back to it again if we need to. Um, yeah. All right. Um, I wanted Good to mention going. this is pretty funny stuff. Um, mm-hmm. When uh, you were... Uh, we were doing a show, uh, the show I just show noted, which I'm just blanking on right now. Um, Was it the To Live Forever? No, no. It's the one that's coming out uh, after To Live Forever. Uh-huh. Um, anyways, <laughs> you were you got a phone call from your sister at the beginning. Yeah. And so you weren't there at the beginning uh, of the show, and we didn't know if you were coming back, right? So I, yeah. I, I said to Will, uh, how about Will, you just pretend to be Evan at the beginning to say, hi, I'm Evan. <laughs> and he did. So Yo. <laughs> it comes in, you come in, uh, I don't know, 10 minutes after or something, but, uh, uh, it was, it was, it was, it was a good book, whatever it was. <laughs> I just finished was it. Was it the Ganymede takeover? That's it. Oh yeah, yeah. That was, that was when my mom was, was yeah. dying. Yeah. I remember. Yeah, or she was in the hospital or yes. something. Yes, yeah. Actually, I think I, I think she, you had said she was stable or something like that. She, at the time, she and died were, about a month later. Yeah, and you yeah. wanted to get her on narcotics because she would be on them for the rest of her life, and who cares if she gets addicted? If yeah, if the supply and, you know, is there. When they and, finally put her on narcotics, yeah. she, she 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 died about a day later. She was wow. on hospice meds for about a day. Wow. Yeah. Uh, this is I don't know. Like, how old was she? I don't know if her body just needed like that the calmness of the drugs to check out. Wow. I don't know what happened. It's it was really fast. Uh how old was she? Yeah. Uh I guess seventy two. Wow. I think it's forty nine. <laughs> yeah, so were you a baby when uh oh wait, when you were born were you a baby? <laughs> yeah. Was I a baby when she was born? <laughs> no, no, no. You were a baby when you were born, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. Just checking. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, how old was she when she had you? Because my mom had me when she she was 18, which makes her 20, just like 20, she's 67 or eight? something. Yeah. 20, 28. 20. Okay. Um, and you have a younger sister and an older sister, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so the younger, the, the older sister, twenty. She, my mom was twenty-five, and then thirty was the last one. Oh, spreading so, it out. all pretty early. I have an uncle. Uh, my my Baba, my uh, mom's mom, died on Wednesday, and I have an uncle who's only three years older than me, uh, which is pretty funny because uh, he he's got an older brother. The eldest sibling of his is uh, he's in his seventies, and so there's like a huge age gap between some of the kids and uh and i just i was thinking that's um it's we don't do it that way anymore everybody's like <laughs> all the people my mom's friends with you know they they don't have kids they have dogs <laughs> yeah <laughs> no, I, I have dogs instead or cats this was i love teaching the population stuff in human geo because mm-hmm. it's you can talk about this stuff and you ask the kids like how many of you want to how many of your, like the older ones, like mm-hmm. the high school ones, how many of you are going to play any kids? A few boys will raise their hand, but the girls, they, they, <laughs> they might change their mind, of course. <laughs> when you look at this, I showed them this chart. 
which shows like how long it took to go from the average woman having six kids, like a fertility of six mm-hmm. to a fertility of three. And it was like it took the U.S. and Britain about 100 years to go from six kids to three. But China went from six kids to three in about 10 years. This is old content. I've heard this before. Yeah, I think I've maybe told this. <laughs> yes, you have. On it's, a podcast, in fact. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah, I, I do material. I it's guess. important. Well, but I, it's, who doesn't? It's, yeah, it's like population. It's because it's, inter- it's interesting facts. It's, that, we're going to get to zero population growth really, really fast is the point. Mm-hmm. Now, there might be a few countries that are outliers, but by and large, we're moving to – what everyone wanted back in the 60s and 70s mm-hmm. the Paul L. Ehrlich goal of now, now we're worried about the opposites we're worried yeah. about the exact uh, we always need to find something to worry about so but I, I still see we're the people run on the out. internet saying oh too many people on the planet I think uh, it's because locally there's probably a lot of people they're probably in a city and they're like fuck we're overcrowded yeah yeah um yeah there, there's like no housing. Traffic. There's no housing. There's yeah, lots no of people on I'm the road. Traffic, something yep. like that. Yeah. So there must be too many people. There, there are literally too many people on the road, and the roads mm-hmm. are uh, underservicing the the well, population. It's really fixable. All you have to do is make it very expensive to have cars in cities, and then people will finally realize it makes more sense to walk or bike or. Yeah, but yeah, unless you're unless you're like Singapore or China, you can't do that, right? People just will shout shout that person out of the office. Well, you can. Yeah, I just we do it with other things though. We, we tax cigarettes. We, you have to be pretty goddamn sophisticated, and yeah, we're not bringing our A game to politicians, right? Well, you could make it really uncomfortable too, adding bike lanes. They do that. bike lanes. They do that. And then saying, okay, the roads, we're not going to, we're going to make the roads smaller to add bike lanes. I was thinking which like. Which means the traffic's going to be worse. This but, is, we'll do a little uh, Lovecraft versus Howard uh, moment here. I, I don't know which side I'm going to be on. Oh, I guess I'm on yeah. Howard's side. Okay, you ready? Um, yeah. The only thing that's going to stop, uh, you know, the FBI and the NSA and the alphabet soup of all these agencies from ever stopping or the school institutes or anything from ever stopping is like a barbarian invasion. That's the only thing that's yeah. going to ever stop it. Because as far as I can tell, institutions <laughs> don't die anymore. They linger on forever. There, there are, yeah. even, even when they're, they technically do die, the brand gets purchased and somebody, you know, uh, what was the, the line, um, uh, that Sisrova or Sersova guy, um, is, is like, they, they took amazing stories and they, they dug up its corpse and then they put that, the, the bodysuit on themselves and said, look, we're amazing stories. And now there's one. But you have no barbarians anymore, though. I mean, I think uh, revolutions. Well, but they tend to create new institutions as well. Yeah, they don't always destroy all so the it's, old. They it's, the, it's the analogy. So, so we have to find the right yeah. analogy to understand it. So, we don't have barbarians anymore, but we also don't have uh, private. Like I was thinking about Pompey and uh, what's the other guy, Sulla. Those guys, they had private armies, right? They just have yeah. vast private armies, and we don't have that today. Like Bill Gates does not have literally. 2,000 guys in uniform. Yeah, that could come back, though. No, but what they do have 
is they have armies of, of reporters, you know, tamed mm-hmm. uh, journalists who work for companies they own and they hire them and they fire them. But more importantly, they have these people on file whose job it is. Like if, if you go to the COVID section of, of Twitter, which there's a whole mm-hmm. tab for it, right? There's a, a first article the other day was like, um, Bill Gates is blah, 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 blah. Like, why are we defending Bill Gates in the COVID section? Because he allegedly said something that was misrepresented. And there's like a whole defense team whose job it is to make Bill Gates look good. Mm. How did that happen? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, there there is this uh, uh, TV channel called MSNBC. The MS stands for Microsoft, right? <laughs> it's not like he's not involved in this system. He's heavily involved. And that is the modern version of a giant army that, you know, he's got a private army in reserve that he can wield. Or Bezos is with the Washington Post or there's some billionaire owns New York Times, right? And if you want to, or I was pointing out uh, Conrad Black on a podcast not that long ago, right? This guy was convicted of uh, crimes of defrauding his own investors in his own newspaper, uh, filling his pockets with it. And, uh, he wrote a nice book about Trump and Trump pardoned him. And he, uh, he was forced, uh, when he went to prison, he was forced out of his uh, lordship in the UK, even though he was a Canadian, right? And he had to give up his Canadian citizenship to become a House of Lords lord after buying, you just buy a Fleet Street newspaper and you, you get, you get to be a lord. So he did that. And then <laughs> when he was, uh, thrown in jail for fraud, and um uh, <clears throat> and then was pardoned uh he he had to go back to canada and got his canadian citizenship back and now <laughs> and now that he's pardoned he's going to get his lordship back and he's going to go back and be in the house of lords in the uk and he's going to have to give up his canadian citizenship again how often can you do that evan <laughs> you can't right the yeah, reason he yeah. can do that is cuz he's friends with all these guys who make the rules and have special waivers and he is the guy that makes the rule so just need the right friends be rich <laughs> yes have a lot of cash to throw around and hire and fire people and you are you're good uh so yeah why don't we start um yeah let's start uh i'm gonna get the wikipedia entry out oh, i have some pop culture stuff maybe to talk about mm. a little bit later i watched called. ghostbusters that's let's, the big news what's dune the new one yeah Oh, yeah. I I did what you did. I put on my pirate hat. Oh, good. Um, it's called Dance Macabre. Dance Macabre. Yeah. All right. Oh, that's not the right one. That's the regular Toten Tanz. <laughs> um, where's the literature? There it is. 1981. Here we go.